When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Happy Friday, TGIF. Friday not only means the beginning of the weekend. Friday, even if you have to work on Fridays, which I certainly do, you, you kind of feel like Friday is one of those days where you can almost coast through, right? You, could, you feel as if the inertia from the prior four days of the week gets you through Friday. So there's just this, this sense of, I don't know, for lack of a better description, happiness on Friday that's not there in the uh, the other days of the week. And the way we start Fridays, there's a lot of fun things on Fridays. We're going to do movie reviews with Debbie, Debbie Schlussel at 3.30. We're going to do denunciations at 3 a.m. But we start each and every Friday morning with giving you the opportunity to ask questions about any subject. Whatever you have questions about, at 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We start each and every Friday show with... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Whatever you're curious about, genuinely curious about, be it film, television, books, business, radio, the business of radio, cocktails, advice, my personal history, pro wrestling, gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, restaurants, New York, criminal justice system, aliens, the mob, Hypothetical questions, my personal preferences, relationships, baseball, the culture at large, religion or foreign policy or just about anything else that you can think of. This is the hour where there is no topic. The topic is the question that you ask. Just make it a good one to sort of encourage you to ask a good question. We're going to whoever asks the best question in the eyes of Philippe. Matt Blaze and occasionally Alex Barnard, we are going to give you a either a uh, WABC Other Side of Midnight cap or a, a piece of uh, great WABC merchandise, maybe a, a T-shirt. So whatever the case may be, 800-848-WABC. Ask whatever you like. Just make it a good one. Let me begin with Neil on Staten Island. Hello there, Neil. Neil, I got you. Yes. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, I got you now. Yeah. Okay. You know, Frank, I've been listening to you for over 10 years. Your Sunday show when you were Episcopal, and now this show, I've been speaking to, you to, speaking to you every week, except one week when I was on a cruise and I couldn't get any reception. Yeah, I ocean. missed you that week. I missed you that yeah, week. Yeah, I know. I, like, it killed me, Frank. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've listened to all your interviews from the absurd to the genius. Thank of, you. Of, your, of your guests. And also the knowledge that you've given out. Oh. And I've absorbed all this over a 10-year period like a sponge. 
And I was wondering, Frank, I know colleges give out degrees for life experience. <laughs> and I was wondering if you would be able to help me, and I think I'm up to a PhD by now, uh, find a college that would give me a, uh, a doctorate for all the knowledge that I've got and my life experience listening to your show. You know, it's a great question, Neil. And uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, but second, you know, there's a lot. I have found colleges very flexible on awarding credits and maybe even degrees if you're willing to pay the tuition. So I guarantee you, if you were willing to spend, I don't know, $200 a credit for whatever kind of degree you wanted to get, they would, I can find a college that is willing to award you that degree in whatever. We'll find a, we'll find a, a subject matter. But the key is, all these colleges, the thing that they're most interested in is cashing your check. So as long as you're willing to pay for it, I suspect there are many who would be willing to offer you that degree. But I appreciate your patronage, Neil, and your uh, and your support over the years. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Fred is in Garfield. Hello, Fred. Yeah, Frank, you ever watch Family Feud with Steve Harvey? I have seen it, but I, I don't watch it routinely, no. Oh, okay. They give away a car free. But they never mentioned the name, the make of the car. What an opportunity to say it's a Ford or a Chevy or whatever. But they don't take advantage of it. I can't understand why they don't mention the name of the car. Yeah, it, well, so if your question is why, I would guess is because that car company that they're giving away is not sponsoring the show. And they don't want to get a free, give a free commercial to the car. Uh, that's what I would imagine. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Mike is in Denver, Colorado. Hello, Mike. Hi, Frank. It's uh, great to talk with you again. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. Outstanding. Now, this is Mike the Millennial. I don't know if you remember me or not. But Wonderful. Yes. I called in a couple times, but um, so my question I actually had two questions. If that's okay, um, is is that cool or? Yeah, I mean, again, don't make them lengthy <laughs> questions, but yes. Absolutely. So the first one, um, I've actually, I'd actually be interested in knowing if you've ever gotten this question before. If you were, if you knew you were going to be stranded on a desert island for twenty years and you could only bring one video game to play, what would it be? You know, I, I'm not really much of a, a video game person. I have to be honest. I, um, I can't remember the last video game that I played. Um, if I could bring <laughs> one video game to play. You know, it would be something that, um, you know, I, I remember when I had a BlackBerry, I was really into the game Brick Breaker. I haven't played it in yeah. years, uh, but um, that was kind of fun. I, I used to kind of enjoy uh, seeing how far I could go in that game. So would that be the one that I pick? Maybe. Uh, maybe I'll pick Brick Breaker. Yeah, absolutely. I'm more of a, a Fortnite player myself. But yeah, I've never played that, but I have two siblings that are really into it. Yeah, absolutely. And then my second question really quickly, um, what is the most nervous you've been on the air and like how have you dealt with that? Like do you ever get nervous on the air or? Uh, yeah, I do get nervous on the air. Honestly, I'll be honest with you, Mike. I get nervous more off air than I do on the air. You know, honestly, um, the interactions that I have with people off the air, I uh, I get very nervous about those, uh, both like coworkers and strangers that I mean, I was at a dinner last night and um, the the only part of the dinner that I didn't enjoy. And this is the this is the truth of whenever I'm in a small group is when I have to uh, introduce myself and say, you know, who I am and where I work and what I do and why I'm at the dinner. I hate those. I, I really don't love 
um, you know, kind of small groups of in-person interactions. I actually feel pretty comfortable on the air. I, I don't um, I, I, I do get nervous on the air once in a while, uh, but it's um, it's rare. Y- usually it's something if I feel that there's a subject that I'm talking about that I'm not as well versed in as I should be. Or if it's, um, you know, if I'm talking to somebody that I've never interviewed before and uh, I, I kind of get a little starstruck. But uh, that's pretty rare. I get much more nervous off the air than on the air. That's the truth. 800-848-WABC. Mark is in Garden City. Hello, Mark. Hi, Frank. Hi. Frank, I, a few weeks ago I spoke to you, and we talked about the overnight show that was done by Steve Malsberg. Yes. And you remember he had a theme song that we were trying to remember where they kept reading up all night. And you had said to me, you'll speak with Steve Malsberg and you'll get the answer. That was a few weeks ago, so... Just wanted to check. I, you know, I haven't spoken with him, and um, I, uh, I I think I might have emailed him after after that. And if I did, he didn't email me back. So I'm going to write myself a note to reach out to him again this weekend. But no, I haven't spoken to him. Appreciate that, Frank. Can I ask you one other quick sure. question? Sure. Uh, you know, Curtis on the weekends, uh, you know, he always has some shtick going on. And he was saying that he wasn't invited to your kid's baptism. And can you tell us why? Yeah, well, so I wanted Curtis invited. Uh, I'll be honest. So my wife wanted a, a very small group of people, right? So she wanted basically just family and a few close friends. And I, I gave her a list of people that I wanted to invite, and she chopped that down significantly. And unfortunately, uh, Curtis was one of the cuts that she made. Uh, so I wanted to invite Curtis, but her view was, one, Curtis probably couldn't come because he's on the radio in the afternoon anyway. And uh, neither one of us really thought that Curtis would care if he was invited or not. So so we didn't end up inviting him. Uh, but uh, understand, there's a lot of very cl- – there's family that we didn't end up inviting. We have cousins that we didn't invite. We have uh, you know very close friends uh, that we didn't invite. And I feel bad about that, but you know, Rachel wanted to keep it uh, a smaller affair. Well, Curtis did get a lot of mileage out of that. That he did. That he did. Trust me. Um, he would have. Uh, I mean, I saw Curtis a day or two ago. He, he believe me. He didn't, I, I talked to him today. He didn't care at all about this. <laughs> uh, second, um, you know, I think he probably got more on air content out of not being invited than invited. Thank you, Mark. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Whatever you have questions about, I will do my best to answer. Mondello is in Harlem. Hello, Mondello. Hey, good morning. Morning. Uh, I'm reading the power broker about Robert Moses, mm. and I'm just wondering who do you think is the current like power behind the scenes of New York and maybe of Washington D.C. Well, so that's a great question, actually, and that's a really interesting book. And if people are interested in learning about not only the history of New York but how New York works, I think that's a, a wonderful book to read. Uh, it takes a long time to read. But sometimes yeah, it's like years, a uh, it's a it's a it's a thick, thick book. But um, I would say I don't. Th- first of all, there's nobody like Robert Moses. Uh, and after Robert Moses left all of his positions, they made sure nobody would ever get that much power. Um, but if I had to pick someone close to Robert Moses, it would definitely not be someone who's elected. Um, you know, it's a great question. Um you know, the the name that immediately comes to mind 
and he's nowhere near as powerful as Robert Moses would probably be Frank Carone, the chief of staff to the to the mayor of New York City. And it's a it's a it's believe me, he's nowhere near as powerful as as Robert Moses was in D.C. I don't know. I have to be honest. I don't know the D.C. power players as well as I know the uh, the New York people. And as you know, from reading that book, Mondello, a lot of the folks that are really powerful, both in Washington and New York and wherever and wherever in Albany and Trenton, wherever they're a lot, they're not necessarily household names. You know, one of the folks that was really powerful here in New York for a long time was a fellow named Charles Gargano. Now, you stop most New Yorkers on the street and ask them, who's Charles Gargano? They couldn't tell you. So uh, I I don't think there's anyone in New York that's as powerful as Robert Moses right now. Um, But if you're going to put a gun to my head and say, who is the most powerful New Yorker? Maybe it's Frank Caron. I don't know, though. 800-848-WABC. Johnny is in Garden City. Hello, Johnny. Hey, Frank, I've been listening to talk radio over 35, maybe 40 years, and I heard a lot of different people speak of it. I never heard of you, per se. I mean, obviously, in the last few years, now I've been, I know about you. But, you know, what, what's your rank? How'd you work your way up? Did you pitch your show to John Casamacita? Did they pick you out? Did somebody select you? What's the, the story behind you and, you know, and your, 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 your link to the show? You know, the, 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 uh, uh, sure, I'll, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version because I feel like I've answered this question several uh-huh. times on past shows. So I'll, I'll, I'll answer it as, as thoroughly but as briefly as I can. So um, I, was, I, I uh, was a public access television show host for, uh, for a few years. And then I was on the radio when I was in college. When I was in college – I started interning at this radio station. When I was interning at this radio station, even after my internship was over, I just remained working here and then started working here part-time, would fill in for the producer. Producer got fired, took over for the producer, then they uh, temporarily, then they hired, uh, and I got to do a lot of on-air stuff when I in all these roles. Then uh, I, d- I did another role when they hired a, uh, a more uh, senior producer, that producer didn't work out, so I went back to being a producer. I was producing the Curtis and Kuby show. Then they replaced us with Imus and, um, in December of 07, and then I still worked with Curtis. They let Ron go. I was still working with Curtis for another two years or so. And then Curtis had made the decision to go to another radio station, and I was very undecided about what to do. Uh, they had made me an offer at this radio station to be the assistant program director and other things. I ultimately chose to go with Curtis, and then when I went with him to that other station, um, I was an on-air, basically his sidekick on that station. And then within a year or so, uh, I was also, in addition to working with Curtis during the week, hosting my own show on the on the weekend once a week. And then um, that was for about four years. Curtis came back to this station, and then they asked me to come back. I ended up staying back at the other station to launch a new show to work with Joe Piscopo. And then uh, I was continuing to do my show, my own show, once a week. And um, in April of 2014, I started working with John Katsimatidis, who I'd had a longstanding relationship with. Um, and uh, I was not only the producer and co-host of John's show, but he would come on my show every Sunday morning in the last few minutes to preview what was on his show. Now, separate from that, I had uh, been trying for years to get back at this station to do overnights. But until John bought it, there didn't seem to necessarily be the um, – I don't want to say the will because uh, there were people that wanted me back. But um, they, they, it didn't seem 
practical for whatever reason. We were owned by a state by a network called Cumulus, and Cumulus wanted WABC to carry their overnight show, which was Red Eye, which was one of the worst right. radio shows of all time. And but uh-huh. once John took the, over this station, there was no longer the obligation to carry Red Eye. So the folks that were here who wanted me to be here anyway, they um they brought me back with with John's blessing. So that's basically it. So you pitched the show to him, or he just got contact you on that? No, as I said, I, I had pitched it oh. previously to oh, management okay. at the it, station, but they were obliged Beautiful. because they were owned by another radio company to Beautiful. carry the uh, radio station, the, the radio show that that other company was uh, was carrying. Thanks to you, I stay up all, all night long. Thank well, that's nice much. of you, Johnny. Thank you for listening. Appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Eight hundred eight four eight W. ABC, that's 800-848-9222. Jack is in New Jersey. Hello, Jack. Hi, Frank. I just wanted to ask you what your take is on the theory about the Clintons killing Jeffrey Epstein. I don't think the Clintons killed Jeffrey Epstein. I I think that, look, uh, for that to have happened, keep in mind what was going on at the time in the country. Now, I don't preclude the fact that Jeffrey that there was foul play maybe involved in Jeffrey Epstein's uh, death. Uh, I think it's most likely that Jeffrey Epstein was sort of, a, you know, in baseball, they have a, a term, an intentional, unintent, an unintentional, intentional walk where you don't pitch um, completely outside intentionally to walk the person, but you don't give that batter anything good to hit. In the case of Jeffrey Epstein, I think there were a lot of people that knew he was suicidal, that didn't want him alive, and that did whatever they could to make sure he got the most lackluster supervision possible for whatever reason. Now, who that is, I don't know. Does it include the Clintons? Maybe. I don't think so. And here's why. The Bureau of Prisons at the time that Epstein killed himself was run by a Trump appointee. So if Epstein had secrets about the Clintons that he was going to spill, um, why would a Trump appointee help the Clintons hide those secrets? I think, if anything, the opposite would have been true. I, I think Trump and all of his right, appointees, they, they would have wanted those Clinton secrets out. So I don't see how um, they would have been able to permeate a Trump Department of Justice and a Trump Bureau of Prisons. I mean, it had to have been someone high up to shut the cameras off. Right. Exactly. Exactly, Jack. Thank you. Uh, Joe is in New Jersey. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Seinfeld, uh, going back to like a trivia question, I thought this would separate the, the men from the boys. The episode with the uh, the golf clubs where, uh, you know, uh, they bid on uh, J.J. John Jr.'s uh, golf clubs. Well, John Sr., but yes. John, I'm sorry, Sr.'s golf clubs. And um, Kramer and, and Newman are doing the uh, bottle collection. They're coming back. And as uh, Newman is driving the truck back from uh, Michigan, uh, the the uh, mechanic starts throwing the, the clubs out the window. What was what was Newman singing at that time before he started throwing the clubs back at the uh, truck that Newman was driving? Uh, once, was uh, three times a lady by the Commodores and Lionel Richie. Yeah, right. And then what did he say when the fire started? Oh, the, oh, uh, oh, the humanity, right? 
Uh, yeah, you're, you're good. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Well, I'm not that good. Uh, there are a few things that I know. Seinfeld happens to be one. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We'll take a quick break and then continue with your calls in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Uh, doing an Ask Frank Anything, whatever you have questions about, we have one open line. Now's the time to ask it. And then we'll try and get in a few email questions as well. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, I'm looking at you, whatever. Keep looking at me. You're scared now, right? Don't fail me, baby. It's just Justin. Feel good, right? This is Justin Timberlake, Like I Love You. If you ever want to know what music we're playing on the show, join our Facebook group. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And we post the songs that we sing every morning on a daily basis. If you're just tuning in, this is The Other Side of Midnight. As we do each and every Friday morning, we are in the midst of a full-fledged... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Uh, doing our best to answer your questions on anything that you are genuinely curious about. And that's the operative term, genuinely curious. If you want to do a rant or a monologue and then say at the end of it, right? That's not really a genuine question. Something that you generally want to know the answer to, this is the time. 800-848-WABC. Jeff is in Queens. Hello there, Jeff. Hey, Frank. This is Jeff, the winner of the joke thing from last night. Wonderful. I want to say um, a couple things. First, uh, um, you're hoping to see me post the picture on Facebook. Believe it or not, at 65 years old, I'm not, I'm not on Facebook. Okay, and I, and I don't do the camera thing, so I have to learn both those skills before. But I, I wear the hat proudly. I want you to know. Wonderful, but thank when you. I learn those skills, then I'll post it. Um, second thing, what, you mentioned this thing about the overnight that overnight show that used to be on Red Eye, and I, I, I gave them like dozens, if not hundreds, of listens, and I hated it. And I said, Jeff, I, I, I thought something was wrong with me. I got so much validation just now from you saying that they were one of the worst radio shows. Well, look, and again, okay. talk radio subject. Jeff, right? Just so, just because I don't like something doesn't mean it's not it's not good. I mean, there, two people can you know be of the same upbringing, the same background, even the same political view, and one person thinks it's great, the other person thinks it's not great. Now, when I I want to be clear though, when I use the term red eye radio, I am not talking about the show that was started by Doug McIntyre, which is one of the great overnight radio shows of all time. But what they did, what Cumulus did, and I spoke about this with Doug when he was in studio for two hours, what they did with Doug was really rotten. He loved doing the show and was doing great with it, not only in this station but around the country. 
They said, okay. look, we got you under contract. We're going to make you do mornings at KABC, which he didn't want to do. And they made him do mornings. And then they they bought the name from him, Red Eye Radio. And then they gave it to these two guys who are horrible that were hosting something called the Midnight Trucking Hour. And they took this name of a great radio show, Red Eye Radio, and they slapped it on one of the most boring, mediocre radio shows I've ever heard. So I, I want to be clear. When I talk about Red Eye Radio, I'm talking about basically the current incarnation of Red Eye Radio, not when Doug McIntyre hosted it. Okay. And uh, last thing, uh, does, does John Castellanos have a, a – he, 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 he seems to have many fewer commercials uh, in, in a 24-hour cycle. Am I right about that? Uh, well, again, that is not necessarily my ballywick, but just as a listener, that's my okay. observation as well. I, I think uh, – again, I don't want to speak for John, but I think John's view right. is that unless the p- uh, client is paying top dollar, let's right. have more programming – because right. why give people an opportunity to tune out when there are commercials? That's the biggest thing I want to, I want to say that I love about the station's change. All right, Frank, thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Jeff is in Suffolk County. Hello, Jeff. All right, Jeff has other priorities. Pete's in Piscataway. It's that away. Hello. Hi, Frank. Uh, these three actresses from the 1960s, Ender Prime, who do you think was the most pretty? Suzanne Plachette, Barbara Eden, or Elizabeth Montgomery? Um, well, I mean, look, I don't think you can go wrong with uh, with any of them. Uh, I've always look. I've always had a thing for um, Barbara Eden. Uh, I'll rank her first. I'll rank Suzanne Plachette, uh, Suzanne Plachette second, and uh, I guess I'll rank Elizabeth Montgomery third. I, I gone though. I mean, you can't really go wrong with any of the three that you just mentioned, in my view. Suzanne Plachette first for me, Frank. So. Uh, well, look, uh, there's something about having a woman come out of a bottle and make your wishes come true that maybe makes you a little bit more attractive. I don't know. Maybe it's the pink. I don't know. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Bill is in Huntington. Hello, Bill. Uh, there's this guy, Kevin McLeod, that, that composes um music on his computer and sometimes he posted on his website what's his name kevin what kevin mcleod okay and 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 he calls it royalty free music and he has a disclaimer can you just take that and use it for bumper music and not pay him Uh, that's a great question i don't know and um maybe we can find the answer to that matt blaze because maybe that is an extra resource that we can tap into but i don't know that's something i'll definitely look into though that's good to know uh don't know to be honest you know what i'm focused on every year there are more and more high profile characters high profile literary titles high profile motion picture titles that enter into the public domain and i um I'm always thinking, well, maybe we could take one of these public domain characters and make our own movie out of them. And then I realize that I have no time and no money to do anything like that. But, um, but yeah, I don't know how it works with that fellow's music, Kevin McLeod. We'll, we'll look into it. 800-848-9222, answering your questions about any subject. We have one, two, three open lines. And then we're going to try and get to some email questions as well. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Yeah, hi, hi. Hi, hi. Okay, uh, uh, the question that I have, is I'm trying to understand, which I really don't, many hosts, I don't think you quite do it, 
but Rita and others um, seem to be amazed at what the uh, radicals, Democrats are doing right now, threatening the justices, going to their homes, Maxine Waters, that all that type of stuff. I don't get it. Haven't haven't we all caught on who we're dealing with? What they did to Kavanaugh, I'd give them all five years prison. That's I mean, without a conscience, what they did to Kavanaugh, destroy the human uh, lies like the one on Brawley, same stuff. And 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 the, and the, the Hillary and Comey. And, and so Charles, real quick, just because we want to get to some other people, what is your question specifically? What are they surprised about? If you're dealing, don't they know who we're dealing with? You, you know, I, I can't speak to why other people are surprised or not surprised about anything um, at all. So I, I can't I can't answer that. You know, it's funny um, when I was working with Curtis and Kuby. Everywhere I would go with Ron, people would ask him a question about Curtis and Ron pretty quickly got sick of this. So really? Ron said to me at one point, he said, don't people understand that I am unable to answer any question that begins with the words, why does Curtis? And I am with that because people ask me questions about Curtis. But the same is true of any other host. I can't speak to what anybody else is doing um, at all. You know, I don't know. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Gene in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Gene. Hello, Frank. It's nice to speak with you. Nice to hear from you. And I love your show. It's a great show. Thanks. And I just wanted to ask you this question. You had that doctor on, uh, Dr. Doctor who? Dr. Keith. Oh, Dr. Keith Ablow? Yes. Yes. And he, he spoke about uh, Prozac, and he said that, you know, Prozac is a, is a pharmaceutical uh, product. But at the same time, he spoke about like a health food. I think he said herkimer uh, or curcumer. I want to try to get the spelling of that. Yeah. Of that, so, again, uh, I will tell you the spelling of what he was talking about, but I want to be very clear. I have no idea um, the validity of any medical information that he was given out. So whatever you take from him, you know, that's on him. It's not endorsed by me or the station or anybody else. But uh, that that supplement that he was talking about was called curcumin, C-U-R-C-U-M-I-N. It's a bright yellow chemical uh, produced by plants of the curcuma species. Um, it's C U R. C-U-M-I-N. Okay, great. You know, I have a pharmacy degree. I went to LIU. So I I, I just was trying to look it up, and I, I couldn't find anything on it. So, you know, so like what do you call that? Prozac is used for somebody, I guess, that's, uh, that's schizophrenic, is bipolar, and things of that nature. You know, so I figured maybe there is, there's a lot of thing, things on the market that uh, that you don't have to, you know, it's very cheap to buy, and it, it, it compares to the drugs that are actually put out by the FDA. So I just wanted to get the spelling. Yeah, it, so it, it, yeah it, it was curcumin, but I, I've never taken it, and I can't vouch for how effective it is at anything. Uh, yeah. But it was curcumin. That was what he was talking about. 800 um, and we're going to we're gonna, we'll take a few more here. Then we'll we'll take a brief break. We'll continue with your calls. And we have two open lines now. And then I'll try and get th- to your email questions and others. 
800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to Bambino in Bay Ridge. Hello, Bambino. Hey, Frank, how are you? Great. That's you know, the easiest question I've gotten all day. All that money that Charmaine uh, de Blasio stole from New York City, I was wondering if anybody was looking into that. You know, I feel like I get that question every day, right? So, and, and again, I can't emphasize this enough. You know, I never voted for Bill de Blasio. I'm not a fan of Bill de Blasio. I think what he did to the city was just awful. And you want to talk about what his wife did with Thrive NYC. I think that was terrible as well. But, I, I, and again, I, I'm not trying to, you know, shock anybody here. But they did not steal the money. Okay. They did not steal the money for Thrive NYC. They misspent the money. They wasted the money. They used it on administrative nonsense. They did not steal the money. If, if I'm with Matt Blaze, right? And, you know, we have a good two hours together on Fridays, right? And we're, we're hammering out our whole parking strategy for the morning. And somebody says, well, you know, Frank stole Matt, stole a hundred dollars from Matt Blaze. What does that mean? I think everyone knows what it means. Means Matt Blaze had a hundred dollars. I stuck my hand into his pocket when he wasn't looking, and I took that hundred dollars and I put it into his own pocket, into my own pocket. Bill De Blasio and Shalane McRae, horrible mayor and first lady as they may have been, they didn't steal any money. They did not put any money into their own pocket. I mean, that that's a fact. If they had put any money into their own pocket, Preparara would have had no problem indicting bill which is what he wanted to do he came this close to indicting him now bill de blasio did a lot of things wrong a lot of things that were corrupt a lot of things that i think were indictable including enriching his campaign donors the one thing that there's never been a credible allegation of is bill de blasio lining his own pocket with stealing money there have been politicians that have done that that's why it's such an important distinction Uh, De Blasio, they wasted the money, they misspent the money, but he didn't steal the money. And and if you do any objective look at the Thrive New York City program, you will see a few things. One is that it really didn't help anybody. The billion dollars that was spent was totally misappropriated. It It did not help anyone in terms of mental health or anything else. And two, you'll see that they didn't steal the money. Because if they did, they would have been indicted back in 2017, which is when Preet wanted to indict them. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Frank in Queens. Hello, Frank. Hey, Frank. Um, I think with the uh, recent news about the Supreme Court's upcoming decision, I think uh, there's going to be a bigger divide between red states and blue states uh, than we've ever seen before. And it got me thinking, you know, I'm confident that within 50 years there will be a civil war in this country. But if it happens sooner and you and I are caught up in it, as a New Yorker, would you support the the blue states or the red states? I personally would be happy to become a, a Benedict Arnold against New York City. Thank you, Frank. I don't think there's going to be a civil war. At least I hope not. I am not going to take up arms against my city, my state, my friends and neighbors because of some 
uh, allegiance to some political ideology. And it's funny, the dinner that I was at yesterday was for this uh, book called I, Citizen by Tony Woodleaf, who I'm hoping to have on the show maybe next week, maybe even Monday. But um, what his contention is, is that America is not nearly as divided as the media makes it out to be. And really, that's my contention. I don't think America is as divided even though New York wants different things than Texas and Oklahoma does, I don't think America is as divided as the media makes it out to be. And uh, no, if there was a civil war, I would never fight against New York City. I love New York City. If you see the lapel pin that I'm wearing, um, well, it's on my jacket. My jacket's in the other room. But I wear a lapel pin on my jacket most days that has two flags on it. One, the flag of the United States one of America, and the other is the flag of New York State. I, I Look, I think loyalty to your state and your city is so important. And it's funny, during the Revolutionary War, George Washington wanted the uh, militia of either Rhode Island or New Jersey. I don't remember which one. I think it I, – I, 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 pardon me. I don't remember which one. He wanted them to pledge allegiance to the new country, and they wouldn't do it. Because in their view, Rhode Island or New Jersey was their home. And that was where their allegiance is. And I think that's one of the things that we've seen diminished in the last 30, 40, 50 years as federalism has eroded. We don't see that kind of loyalty to your state anymore. And, you know, in schools these days, when I was a kid, I don't know how it was when you were a kid, but we learned about New York state history. We learned about New York City history. These days in schools, even at good schools, I find school children completely ignorant about New York State and New York City history. And the same is true with my friends in New Jersey. And I really think we need to enhance that love of what I'll call state and city patriotism. And instead, you know, we act like, oh, okay, it's a great thing to be loyal to America. But to be loyal to New York, oh, that's ephemeral. You, ephemeral. You could throw your state away like you could throw away toilet paper. That's not my view. And again, nothing against people that view that way. But New York is just as much my home as the United States is. So I would never join a civil war uh, and fire upon New Yorkers. New Yorkers are my friends, my neighbors, my family. Uh, they're just as much as the United States is. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue with your questions. We'll get through a few email questions straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. It's Friday. 
Uh, so I'm doing my best to answer your questions on any subject. We'll try and get through a few email, um, Facebook, and Twitter questions as well. My friend Obi Murray, who is really one of the most prominent um, communications uh, consultants, political consultants, and crisis communications experts in the world. He was one of the key architects of Bob Turner's win for Congress uh, back in 2011, 2012, 2011, 2012. He, um, sent, um, first of all, I'm very honored that Obi listens at this late hour. Obi sends in the question, how do you not lose your voice? You talk for four hours on air, updates an hour, baby, wife, life, lots of taking, talking, I think he means. And how do cigar, cigars impact your voice on air? It's a good question. You know, I try and do a, t- a few things, Obi, and I could probably do more. I try to inhale through my nose and and then speak as I exhale. And that was one of the things they always said that was effective in utilizing your diaphragm more than utilizing your throat. So that's one thing that I do. And as such, because I'm always trying to inhale through my nose, I'm I'm constantly blowing my nose because I'm trying to keep my nasal passages clear so that I can continue inhaling through my nose before I speak. That's one. Two, and... um, uh, I've hung out with you a couple of times, Obi. You know the story with me. This is not necessarily easy. I've been known to tip back a few. I, I do try to really minimize my alcohol intake during the week. On days when I have to do a show, it's it's very rare that I'll have alcohol uh, on a day that I have to do a show. It's certainly very rare that I'll have more than a couple of drinks. Um, that's number two. As far as cigars go... That's another good question. I try to only do it on a Friday and Saturday, days when I have a day or so to recover before I have to be on air. If I do have a cigar during the week on a show that, on a day that I have to do the show, I try to find the lightest, most mildest cigar that I can. Um, but it doesn't help, I can tell you. On days when I do smoke a cigar and then have to be on air that day, I don't know how Rush did it. Because Rush sounded great. He would smoke cigars during his show. And he still sounded great. And you know what? Nobody knows this about Hannity. When Hannity was here, he would smoke cigars uh, a lot. And he, he gave that up. Now I think he vapes. But Hannity was a big cigar smoker for a time. And he he would he and Rush both would smoke right here in the studio. But um, I I feel it much more than, than they did. Uh, the other thing that I do that I try to do anyway, is I will always have a water bottle beside me and I try to stay really well hydrated throughout the day and that really helps a great deal. I drink, um, I have these this water bottle, which is very tough to find, a 40-ounce water bottle with me at all times and I make sure every day I fill it at least three times. So every day I drink at least 120 ounces of water a day, not including, you know, water that you may get from other sources. So uh, those are all strategies. Uh, Minimize the alcohol intake, breathe through your nose, 120 ounces of water a day. And, uh, and, you know, even though I don't inhale cigars, as I think Rush may have, um, I try to not smoke a cigar the day that I have to. Uh, do a show. Uh, here's an interesting question from um, 
Tom, what's the story with Vladimir Posner? What, if anything, has he had to say about the crackdown on the press in Russia? You said a few weeks ago he was going to be a guest. Have you been in touch with him since the invasion? Answer, uh, it's a multi-part question. Again, I hate these, like, three questions in one. But what's the story with Vladimir Posner? I don't know what the story is with Vladimir Posner. What, if anything, has he said to you about the crackdown on the press in Russia? So he hasn't said anything to me. We've been in touch via email a great deal. I'm trying to save my questions for when he's on the air. Uh, I have reached out to him repeatedly, and I've caught him in different places. Last time I spoke with him was, I guess, about two weeks ago, and he was in France, and he was unavailable to be on the show. A couple of other times I've emailed him, and he has not responded to my email. So I have reached out to him since this Russia-Ukraine war began, I'd say at least a half dozen times. And so far, he has not accepted any of my invitations to be on the show. So uh, 800-848-9222, we'll try and alternate with email questions and with uh, with phone questions. Eddie is in Nassau County. Hello, Eddie. Yes, good morning, good Frank. Hi. I just want to ask you two questions. What would you think was the best book about organized crime? And also, which do you think was the best detective? And I'll take your answer off there. Well, 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 when you say best detective, you mean best fictional detective or best real-life detective? Uh, just from what you've read of what you've seen on television, I mean, overall through your studies over the years. No, but are you talking about somebody like um, like Sherlock Holmes, or are you talking about somebody like Elliot, Ma- Elliot Ness? Uh it could be either or, or even uh, the famous uh, Italian detective, uh, uh, Joe uh, P- uh, Pissarelli, I believe right. it was. Uh, Petrozino. Petrozino. Petrozino, that's the guy, uh, yeah. Well, so I don't know that I'm qualified to um, answer the, the second, and maybe not even, maybe not even the, um, maybe not even the first, but in terms of books about the mafia, there's a lot of good ones. Um, there's, uh, let me think here. Um, you know, Joe Bonanno wrote a really interesting book after he sort of kind of retired. That was an interesting book. That sticks out in my head. Um, Tony DiStefano, who's been a, gr- a guest on this show, wrote a wonderful book about the Lufthansa heist. You remember the um, the film Goodfellas? That, that dramatized the Lufthansa heist. Tony um, Tony DiStefano wrote a wonderful book called The Big Heist on on that front. I'm trying to think, um, what are some other good ones? There's some other one. Oh, Jimmy Breslin wrote, well, he wrote a lot of great books, including The Game That Couldn't Shoot Straight, which then, of course, they made into a film. Jimmy Breslin wrote a wonderful film about um, the mafia cops, uh, Epolito and Caracapa. It's called The Good Rat. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal film, uh, phenomenal uh, book. Selwyn Rabb has a great, uh, a great, you know, honestly, when it comes to organized crime, it all depends on who you're interested in and in what era you're interested in. Jerry Capisi has written some great books about the mob and about, about uh, a lot of different mafia figures and while there are definitely some problems with it, um, John Gotti Jr.'s book, and I know people are going to think I'm biased because I'm his friend, John Gotti Jr.'s book, Shadow of My Father, is terrific. It is absolutely terrific. 
And it really is one of those few books where you really feel like you're getting taken behind the scenes of what it's like to be in the mob. Because a lot of other people that have been in the mob and written books, with the exception of Joe Bonanno, who I mentioned earlier, Sammy Gravano and others, they they write these books and act like they're heroic for ratting on the mob. And then all the mafia figures, those are the evil people. When you, if you read Shadow of My Father, first of all, there's the kind of stories that you can't hear from anyone else. Two, he doesn't do that. It's really, it's almost like it's, it's written from a gangster's perspective. And again, it's not perfectly written because John's not a writer. But the stories in that book are very compelling. I remember when I got a copy of that book. I stayed up for three days straight. I couldn't stop reading it. It was a really... Really terrific book. And the only other one that I'll mention is um, a book that uh, Oscar Goodman, who's been a guest on this show, who then became the mayor of Las Las Vegas. It was a memoir, but it dealt with a lot of mob figures. It was called Being Oscar, From Mob Lawyer to Mayor of Las Vegas. That was an interesting book uh, as far as I'm concerned. All right. uh, 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to John in Brooklyn, who's been holding a while. Hello, John. Hello, hello, Frank. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, yes. Frank, what I want to ask you about, the officiating of baseball, which men like strike and not strike. I am from the Western East, but I I believe that an umpire should be behind a pitcher instead of behind a catcher because I've been listening to baseball all the time and I hear about some umpire have wide strike, high strike, low strike. I believe strike should be at least, I know they cannot be 100% perfect, well, but they should be mostly perfect. Well, thank you, John. Number one, I think eventually, and I'm, this is not my hope, but I think this is going to happen. I think eventually you're going to see balls and strikes called by a robot, by a computer, and not by a human. Two, you know, when I was in Little League, there were a couple seasons where the umpire would be behind the pitcher for the very reasons that you mentioned. I believe you get a much more accurate view if you're behind the plate. Um, there's always going to be some level of human subjectivity, whether you're behind the plate or behind the pitcher's mound. I think you get a much better view of what the strike zone is behind the plate. All right. This is a uh, question here emailed by Robert, who writes, you're such a great storyteller. The interviews are great, but your stories are outstanding. Funny sometimes can be sad, but always interesting and easy to relate to. Question. Have you ever considered audiobooks, reading or as a narrator? And if so, what book would you want to narrate or read? Such a good question, Robert. Uh, I would certainly like to do that, but, um, you know, I really don't have the time to pursue a whole nother career. And the people that read read books for entities like Audible, and I know some people that do it, it's almost a full-time job getting work for that. you got to hire an agent. you got to come up with audio samples. I know some other people that do uh, have uh, upload their reading samples to websites. I've done some voiceover work before. In fact, if you go to a Staten Island Ferryhawks game this year, there's an intro video that's played before each own each home game 
that is voiced by me, yours truly. So I would love to do more of that, uh, but I really don't know, one, how to go about it, and two, I really don't have the time and the the extra bandwidth at this point to pursue anything else. Um, if I had my druthers, and I know I'm sounding like a broken record mentioning this particular book, but if I had my druthers and I could read any book to tape that I wanted to, it would be uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. 800-848-9222. Jeff is in Suffolk County. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Hey, Frank, a quick observation. Rush used to talk about his formerly nicotine-stained fingers. Right. So he was still smoking, and what's the deal with that? Well, I think it was because he had given up cigarette smoke, and he would talk about, Ah. yeah, he would talk about his fingers as being formerly nicotine-stained. Ready for your question? Ready. Who was the extra in Seinfeld who was in the most episodes? Um. I I think it's uh, I think it's Larry Charles. Nah, it's the uh, it's the cashier at uh, Monks. All right, thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to Al in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Good morning, Frank. Another great episode. Thank you. Uh, oh, and another great book to read would be Boss or Bosses. It's pretty pretty good. Um, my question for you is, uh, this coming Saturday will be the running of the Kentucky Derby. Who do you like? You know, I haven't really looked at the at the horses, so I would say probably um, – I, I would probably go with the favorite, Zandon. I would probably go with him, but I really don't know. Okay. Yeah, I like Messier myself. Uh, I think it will be long shots in there too. Yeah, right. honestly, well, it's one of those things that I, I don't usually pay attention to until maybe the day of the race. I hear what you're saying. All right, cool. Thank you, Al. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to, uh, let's try and squeeze in more here. Julia in New Jersey has been waiting a while. Hello, Julia. Julia? Julia? Julia's gone. Pete in Mount Vernon. Hello. Hey, Frank. How you doing, pal? Great. Um, I'm driving a truck and listening to you a lot. I appreciate your show. I'm just Thank curious, you. who do you think is really running the show behind the Biden, Biden administration? And a second question also, what do you think about computers, uh, people being able to vote online as opposed to all these other compl- complications that are happening with paper and, and mail-in? Um, you know, I have some concerns about um, online voting, at least as it stands now. I think that... Um, a much look. I, I think there's a lot to be said for it, but you know, one of the better ideas that I've ever heard was from actually John Katzmatidis, and this was long before he owned our station. So I hope people don't think I'm being patronizing here. He mentioned to me one time, and I don't know if he's ever talked about this on the air, thumbprint voting. And look, it's not not great if you don't have thumbs, and maybe if you don't have thumbs, there's something else can be done. But I honestly think thumbprint voting is a great strategy. Um, I have some concerns at this point about things like um, like hacking, but I'm open to it in the future. If someone could change my mind about it, I think that's uh, I think that's great. All right. Uh, Matt Blaze, Philippe and sometimes Alex Barnard. Do you have a pick for the best question? Pete from Piscataway. What did he ask? 
your favorite hot chick from the 60s. Ah, okay. Yeah, and I said uh, Barbara Eden, and I would go with Barbara Eden. All right, so Pete and Piscataway, it's that away. Call back, and we're going to give you a prize of some sort. Um, for the rest of you, so the, the Ask Frank Anything portion of the show is over. Those of you that are holding, maybe we'll get to you, maybe not. I'm not going to make a promise that you're grandfathered in. But much like George W. Bush would say, H.W. Bush, no new questions. Keep asking them, though. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. So, last Friday, week ago today, my sister and I drove to Brooklyn because we live on Staten Island and we drove to Brooklyn. My brothers both live in Brooklyn for our traditional premarital siblings dinner. Whenever one of us gets married, so far... I've only gotten married, and now my brother Nicholas is getting married in a few weeks. We have dinner, just the four of us. And um, it's really nice. You know, we had dinner last Friday. It was fun. And that was the first time that I think only the four of us had gotten together since I was married three years ago. And it's nice. You know, I mean, as great as we love the rest of our family and our friends and our wives and our girlfriends and whomever else, it's, um, it's always nice to be able to have a night, just the four of us. And that was nice. So as Claudia and I are driving, my sister is Claudia, as she's driving me into uh, Brooklyn, we pass a baseball stadium, Uh, not a stadium, but a a park. And there are these kids there, maybe 9, 10, or 11, that look like they're having a baseball practice. I didn't see a coach. So maybe it was just a bunch of kids informally playing baseball, which I think is great. I think we need more unorganized play in society. And I remarked to her, Wow, look, look at how much fun it looks like these kids are having. I said, I really can't wait until Carmine, my son, her nephew, I really can't wait until Carmine is old enough to play baseball and I can coach his baseball team. And, you know, basically we went on with the rest of our night. And then so the next day, I relate that same anecdote to my wife. And she said, well, is there any sport that your son would play that you really wouldn't be comfortable coaching? If he really wanted you to coach the team, is there anything that you feel like you wouldn't learn? I said, well, you know, I really don't know much about um, something like curling, but I think I could learn. And she said, well, all right, curling, maybe that's a little niche. But other than other than that, any other team sports that you don't feel like you could learn enough about to coach? And look, it's different if you coach an 8-year-old or a 9-year-old versus a 17-year-old, right? When you're coaching a 17-year-old, they're expecting some significant level of instruction. I said, I don't think so. I mean, I don't really know that much about the skills necessary to play lacrosse, um, maybe a few other skills in other sports, but I think I could learn. So I love youth sports. Love it. 
in some ways, and maybe this explains my fondness for both minor league baseball and independent league baseball, I at times prefer watching youth sports to professional sports. There are times when, you know, I have a very close friend who's a high school basketball coach, and he coached this incredible high school basketball team. This is 12 years ago. I don't know why I still remember this. It's more than 12 years ago. No, 16 years ago. And I still remember it. This come from behind win, this incredible sports victory. And to this day, that's one of my most memorable moments in all of sports as a spectator. I was just sitting there in the stands. And that's why I was so chagrined to read this story in the New York Post a couple of weeks ago. Threats of violence from deranged parents made me quit. Youth sports ref. Tampa resident Daryl Steedham is quitting officiating Little League after abuse from parents and coaches have reached frightening new heights. Now, to me, this is the saddest thing in the world. To me, I mean, I think the people that umpire or referee youth sports, the people that coach youth sports, these are people that should be celebrated, not insulted, not tortured by spectators. And in 2014, Tampa, Florida resident Daryl Steedham was managing a little league team when he was told he'd also have to umpire two games because of an official shortage. He told the Post, I fell in love with it. I enjoyed the camaraderie with the other guys. When I played baseball, I was mostly a catcher. Being behind the plate is one of my favorite things on earth. Pure and simple. As the 36-year-old insurance agency owner saw his business take off, he had less time to coach. Officiating, quote, allowed me to stay close to the game and that joyful atmosphere. I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. It's exactly what I'd like to do, maybe. In addition to regular season games, he also umped all-star tournaments from district to sectionals. Quote, last year was my first year doing the state tournament. It was my goal to work in Williamsport, that's where the Little League World Series is, within five years. Instead, last week, he quit for good. With the ever-present threat of violence, it's just not worth it. I would prefer to stay out of the morgue than be at Williamsport. Since the fall, Steidem has been has seen, excuse me, a major escalation in deranged behavior. I want to reemphasize that we're talking about a little league umpire here. Little league. Deranged behavior. From parents and coaches, he recently had to flee a field for his own safety after tossing out an unhinged manager. Then, earlier this month, he experienced consecutive days of abuse from the dugout and the bleachers with one parent getting in his face and proclaiming, quote, it's your job to take abuse from us. That is disgusting. Now, maybe I'll never get to coach a Little League team. Maybe I'll never get to umpire a Little League game, 
I hope I do, and I, I, I think I could do that even if my son doesn't end up playing. If I were a parent of a youth sports participant, whatever the sport, I would absolutely never scream at an official like this. First of all, unlike in Major League Baseball or the NBA, these are not people that are being paid terribly handsomely. In the case of Little League, most of these people are volunteers. If if they get paid anything, it's a song. Why would they why would spectators scream at folks like this? To me, I can't relate to this. And I'm curious. I find it equally frustrating when I've been to youth sporting events and I see people yell at the coach for making a bad call or what they perceive to be a bad call or not playing their child enough. Do you know how many times my father or mother ever yelled at a coach or an umpire because of a, of a, a call in a game? Zero. 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 Never once did my father scream that I wasn't playing enough or that the umpire was doing a bad job. Never once. To me, there's absolutely no excuse for this. And yet, there's growing violence and abuse in youth sports. And I'm curious if you've seen this. Have you observed parents, coaches spectators ramping up their heckling, particularly violent heckling, towards volunteer coaches or umpires. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And if you have, I'd be curious why you think that's the case. Is this getting worse now? If so, why? Why? Um... So this fellow, Daryl Steedham, says that when he got that comment, it's your job to take abuse from us. He said that one comment really set me back. I have a full-time career, and I'm just trying to give back to the community and the sport that effectively built me. This is a fellow that was earning $45 per game and worked the all-star circuit as a volunteer. And he, unfortunately, is part of an ever-growing roster of referees ditching their coaching duties due to rampant abuse from coaches, parents, and even players, which has now led to a dire shortage of officials in youth sports. How awful is that, that we're torturing our youth sports officials so much that there's a shortage in the in the last Three weeks, there's been a barrage of viral videos or incidents that have made local sports pages indistinguishable from the police blotter. In Mississippi, softball umpire Christy Moore was punched by a woman wearing, you got to appreciate this, a Mother of the Year shirt. During a Little League game in Denton, Texas, an umpire was shoved to the ground by a coach in Georgia. A basketball ref was attacked by players and required 30 stitches. What? This is insane. I'm reminded of the old Richard Bay show. 
when he used to run up to the camera and say, where do they find these people? Or, you know, to keep with the Seinfeld theme, when, you know, he was in Florida and it was craziness with his um, parents, he would say, what is going on in this community? That's the way I feel when I see stories of a basketball referee attacked by players and requiring 30 stitches. Brian Barlow, a Tulsa, Oklahoma soccer official um, who manages a referee advocacy page on Facebook, he compiles these videos in order to shame poorly behaved adults. Good. Good. Shame them. He says, it's as bad as I've ever seen it. Last week, my page had more engagement, more views, and I received more videos from people assaulting officials than I do in an average week. So while referee abuse is nothing new, it's gone from verbal jeers to physical jabs. I'm curious, have you seen this? Have you noticed this? What do you think the cause is? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Um, let me say hello to Joe in Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. How you doing tonight? Great. Thanks. Uh, I've seen it. I coached, I told you this, I coached my uh, daughter's uh, TYO soccer and softball, and my son actually asked me to coach his soccer team, and I refused after what I was put through. Um, the parents are out of control. Uh, the reason why... Well, give me some examples. Give me some examples of, of right. how the parents are out of control. Well, I, I'm trying to think. Um, back when my daughter was about eight years old, I just she started uh, um, soccer. And they had a really good... Uh, these kids never played before. And I, I was working with them twice a week. And um, there was one kid that was on the field during the middle of the game picking clover off the field. And I, you know, nicely, I told the kid, you need to step aside because you're going to get hurt. And I had this mother come out to me and she's screaming, my son's the best. The kid couldn't, had no ball control skills, no nothing. And, you know, with the CYO, you got to uh, play everybody, which is fine. And everybody needs to have a good time and learn their skills. But these parents wouldn't show up to practices with their kids, would only show up on Sundays for the games. They would get in your face. Uh, I had a parent spit at me. My wife was like, why are you doing this? Uh, and it, it's all about entitlement. It, everyone gets a trophy. You know what I'm talking about, Frank. It's just, it, it's, it's crazy. And these parents, they they get, now my, my, my daughter went to softball um, at the middle school. It's a totally different thing when a school runs. If you mouth off to an official or you say anything to a coach, they throw you out. There's no... They, they don't put up with it, but like with the or like the uh, CYO sports, I see it all the time, and it's sad. It really when it comes, I wasn't getting paid. I was doing this volunteering my time, and it was a lot of work. And you'll see if you ever do it, and it's just unforgiving. And the people were just crazy, crazy. I don't know where they came, where they came from. Hey Frank, great show again. Have a good weekend, and wish. Uh, your wife a happy first Mother's Day. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. You know, it's um, it's very interesting. 800-848-WABC if you want to weigh in on this. That's 800-848-9222. Christine Moore, um, last week she was so, – oh, actually, this is I guess now three weeks ago because the article is a little older. Three weeks ago, 
she was sucker punched in the eye by a foul-mouthed parent that she tossed from a softball game for 12 years old, for 12-year-olds. So she had posted a photo on Facebook of her with a black eye because she was punched by a parent in the midst of officiating a game for 12-year-olds. Now, is there anything more crazy? Why do parents do this? Why do players do this? Why do coaches do this? Uh, And she said, and I think she's exactly right, she's a 47-year-old woman, beautiful woman, and if you see the photo of her, she's got a giant black eye because of some parent being upset with her. She said no official should be working on a game, working a game, and have to worry in the back of their minds, is this the call that's going to make someone mad enough to assault me or shoot me? I mean, how crazy is that? So she posted the photo of her with the black eye on the Facebook, and she says, I didn't do this for attention. I don't want the publicity. But it's happening more than people realize. I haven't been out on the field since. I think I'll make it back out there, but I don't know when. I need a minute. 800-848-9222. What's driving this? Have you seen this in youth sports? Ted is in Union. Hello, Ted. Hey, Frank. How are you doing tonight? Great. Thanks. Good. Hey, listen, you're going to have to enjoy this when you have your kid playing a little sports. But I have a, a little athlete. He's on, on to college now. But I remember when he was playing youth sports, um, there was, were times when, like, a lot of these parents, when the kids are in grammar school and in junior high school, think their kids are going to be professional athletes. They take it way too serious. They put too much pressure on the kids. But then the parents get involved when somebody makes a poor decision like a referee. It, come on, it's a game. It's fun. Right. It's, it's good exercise. And I think just, I, I, I do believe in Texas and down south, they take it a little bit more serious. But even in New Jersey, um, you know, it gets a little out of control. I've seen parents, you know, storm the mat, yell at the referee. I mean, in wrestling, it's a split-second decision. Maybe the, maybe the ref makes a bad call. Is it the end of the world? The kid's not getting a full ride to Penn State to wrestle. Right, uh, certainly not based on one call, right? No, 100%. He's got a whole high school career ahead of him. And even in high school, they do get, you know, a little bit more. But at the same token, uh, when you get into the high school level, I think it's a little bit more controlled because, you know, there's there's repercussions. The kid could be suspended. The parents, you know, could be I, these, these little uh, tournaments we go to where we used to go to when my kid was in seventh and eighth grade. The kids are little kids. Let them have fun. They, they, they take it way too serious. And sometimes some of the parents weren't good athletes or maybe didn't make it. They're the ones that I think sometimes take it over the top. Ted, what do you think has driven this extremist attitude among parents in youth sports? Because I don't think it was like this 30 or 40 years ago. I think every parent feels their kid is going to get a scholarship. And I really do believe that. I feel that, and maybe your other quote I, that have seen it like they think their kid may, maybe in seventh grade he's bigger stronger and faster than most they think their kid's going to be an unbelievable athlete and it turns out they put so much pressure on a kid the kid ends up quitting the sport yeah uh well that's sad uh that's certainly sad and you know if a if a if a youth athlete is good enough to get a scholarship, and thank you for the call ted if, if a youth athlete is good enough to get a scholarship somewhere no call by a referee 
is going to cost them that scholarship. It's just the way it is. Tommy is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tommy. Hey, what's up, Frank? Good, good subject. Thanks. Yeah, my daughter played played organized sport, uh, softball for a long time, travel ball, uh, little league. It, it's not so much the parents. It, it's kind of like the coaches, too, mm. like when they got their own kid on the team. You know what I mean? Their kid, like, told me, like, isn't as good as some kids. You know what I'm saying? But they keep putting that kid in, start that kid, start that kid. And I used to tell my daughter, you know, that's why you got to be better than that. That's why you got to practice. And you know what? My daughter, all her years, softball, all-star, travel ball. Travel ball was a little sketchy. They're, they're maniacs, travel ball. <laughs> Parents and coaches, they're lunatics. They, they, God bless them. I, I've never, my, my first travel ball experience, I had to go to a bar and have a drink. Well, Tommy, fill us in. Fill us in. For those of us that haven't had uh, travel ball experience, either as a player or a parent, what goes on? Why are they so crazy? What do they do? Oh, it's game after game. These kids play like eight games in a day. They play game after game after game after game. It's like a bracket. And then then they they make the bracket up to the next day. Some of these kids, they get... My daughter played on Staten Island. Some of these freaking coaches, too, are out of their, out of their minds. Like, you hear the coach chirping and, oh, these kids ain't good enough to play against Mike. Oh, the, the, girl, the girl, the coach was like, why don't you come out? I, I said, I come out there and help the coach. Well, the first thing we're going to do is walk over and punch that guy in the mouth. <laughs> uh, I says, I'm the wrong guy. I says, I'm the wrong guy. I says, you know. Find somebody else with a little more or less of an attitude, really. But, you know, it, you just got to make your kid. It, it's, I don't know. It's hard to explain. You know what I mean? It, 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 I hear you. When you're a little league, and, it, and then the, 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 especially with the fathers, oh, my God. And you, you fight with my daughter was on the, uh, went to the Nationals one year. Her team went to the Nationals. And then one of the starters got hurt, but my daughter was, like, mixed in line. He starts his freaking kid. I says, I told the guys, the only way I'm going out to Long Island is if my daughter's starting. If my daughter ain't starting, I said, I'm not driving past my job four times just to go back to Queens to get my truck to go to work. Sure as crap. No, no, no. She's starting. Get out there. She's not starting. I grabbed my daughter. I said, come on. Let's go. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Tommy, wait. You left a game that you were already at? I, no, I no, left. Tommy, I I Tommy don't you think fuming. that's a little nuts? Nope. I was fuming. But you're out there already. Go. You're out there already. Nah, nah, nah. But nah, wait, wait. To but, but, but Tommy, I, don't aren't there times in it when you're playing a team sport where you're starting and when you're not starting? And isn't that just as important a lesson for a child to learn? No. There's no it. If you, this is what I used to tell my daughter. If you're in second place, you're the, you're the, you're the first loser. Yeah, see, uh, uh, look, whatever works for you and your daughter, I think that's great. Uh, that's not my attitude. Uh, I think, um, you know, my attitude would be uh, primarily about, you know, having fun, number one, even in these travel teams, which I realize are very competitive, two, getting better at the sport that you're playing and learning more about it. Three, using the life lessons from that sport to help you in other aspects of life, including 
sportsmanship and sacrifice and being a member of a team. I think that's a, a very poor attitude, Tommy. And just like, look, I get I was almost with you like at the beginning of what you were saying that, all right, you don't want to drive all the way out there. But once you've already driven out there. For you to make the extra effort to remove your daughter from the game and drive all the way back, to me, it's almost like you're putting in more effort to have her not participate in the game. I don't get it. I just don't get that. But whatever. I don't have to. It's your your life, your daughter's life. God bless you. Mike's in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Mike! All right. Mike has... Moved on to greener pastures. Thank you. Um, All right. We're going to continue with your calls next. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Music we play on this show. Just join the Facebook group. Uh, just uh, search Morano Radio Fans and Haters in uh, on Facebook, and uh, that's your forum for communicating about the things that we cover on this show. Saturday afternoon, uh, right after Curtis and Anthony Weiner, you can hear me again uh, with the best of the other side of midnight. I'm leaning at this point. Um, and we'll consult after the show, to including the interview that I did with Stephen Bassett earlier in the week about the difficulty that members of Congress are having with the Pentagon over the Pentagon's refusal to come forward with what they're apparently required to regarding UFOs slash UAPs. Now, interestingly enough, one of the people that um, Stephen Bassett referenced in the interview that I did with him a few days ago was Congressman Tim Burchett, Republican of Tennessee. He believes the Pentagon knows more than what they're saying following the latest secret briefings on UFOs. Now, we're working on getting Congressman Burchett on this show, but he was on um, News Nation and he said the following. Big picture. Does the Pentagon know more than they're saying? 100 percent. 100 percent. And Leland's in, a, in our country's DNA not to trust the government. And this is another example why these are Navy pilots. These are the top pilots in the world. And this was they didn't leak it, but somebody else leaked it. And um, and for the longest time, they, they said it didn't exist. And now that they've come forward with these these tapes, there's so many of them out there. That show, um, you know, they're flying into the water, it, it, uh, under the water, in the air, like there's so much out there. 
And um, yeah, we need to start. We need to start addressing it because if these who whatever they are have control of the air like that, it's a national defense issue for us. He also went on to say there's an arrogance in government at that level that we cannot handle what's going on out there. It's a bogus cover up. It doesn't fit. And it's about power and control. Now, let's put aside the dynamite charge there, the controversial aspect of what he said there, that this is a bogus cover up. I'm not asking you to weigh in on whether or not this is a bogus cover-up. But I'm going to ask you two questions. And I'm going to ask you to weigh in at 800-848-9222. One, do you think we, the American public, if the Pentagon does have this information and they're bottling it up, let's say it's not a full cover-up, let's say they're slow walking in, do we, the taxpayers, have a right to know My answer is an enthusiastic yes, we do. But the other thing that I'm curious about is, listen to the quote from Burkett. He says, there's an arrogance in government at that level that we cannot handle what's going on out there. Even before Stephen Bassett mentioned this, even before I played that clip and read you that quote, When I brought the story from Politico to your attention on, I guess it was Monday, I said, why? Why is the Pentagon keeping Congress in the dark? And one caller called in and says, well, you saw what happened. You saw what happened back in um, 1939, the reaction to the War of the World situation. They saw people panic. We can't handle it. That's essentially what that caller said. And I'm curious, do you agree with Congressman Burkett's characterization of this? That the the Pentagon thinks we can't handle this. I think we can. I think we can handle it like mature adults. Do you? 800-848-WABC. Now, we've gone through what Burkett and... Um, what, he, what other lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are seeking to do here, which is apply pressure on the uh, Pentagon. Aides for Senator Gillibrand, aides for Senator Rubio, uh, they gave statements on Monday to Politico expressing their senator's frustration, reporting that they'd hoped that Capitol Hill was prepared to address this issue. I think we can handle it. Do you? Congressman Burkett, I don't trust the Department of Defense to get this right since leadership there has always been part of a cover-up. Agree? Disagree. 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Interestingly enough, there was another article in the Daily Mail. I believe it was Svetlana that posted it in our Facebook group. She posted about something called the Fermi Paradox, which questions why there have been no signs of alien life. And apparently there's this new study, and we're going to try and get the researchers from this study on the show. There's this new study where researchers claim they may have finally, they may have an answer. And they claim, these researchers, that alien civilizations grow so large 
that they hit crisis points. Aliens may be able to put changes in place to prevent burnout. However, these changes could make aliens even more difficult to detect. So Dr. Michael Wong of the Carnegie Institution for Science and Dr. Stuart Bartlett claim that extraterrestrial civilizations may grow so large and technical that they hit these crisis points, missing the chance to visit new worlds. So this Fermi paradox questions why, given the estimated 200 billion to 400 billion stars and at least 100 billion planets in our galaxy, there have been no signs of alien life. The contradiction is named um, for the Italian physicist Enrico Fermi, who posed this question back in 1950. So in this study, and this is not science fiction, it's published in a peer-reviewed journal, the Royal Society of uh, the Royal Society of Open Science, Dr. Wong and Dr. Bartlett, they set out to crack this puzzle. Why? Look, there's got to be alien life out there. Why have we not seen them? And the pair analyzed previous studies which have shown that cities grow what he calls super linearly at a faster rate than linear, thanks to their social nature. So this super linear scaling results in crises called singularities, where population and energy demands supersede innovations, leading to the system's collapse. For example, on Earth, the researchers say that ozone depletion, the escalation of weapons of mass destruction, and whaling could have led to burnout had they not been mitigated. So these researchers suggest that burnout is likely to happen to alien civilizations as well. Quote, we hypothesize that once a planetary civilization transitions into a state that can be described as one virtually connected global city, it will face an asymptomatic burnout. Interesting. Interesting. So I'm going to reach out to these fellas and uh, see if we can get at least one of them on this uh, on this show. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Um, very exciting. We once again have Mike in New Jersey back. Mike, it's been uh, it's been really trying not having you on the line, but I'm glad you're back. Good morning, Frank. That was my fault. I think I hit mute by accident. I apologize. I forgive you. So thank you. So um, I'm calling about the previous segment. Um, I coached youth hockey for probably over 25 years and uh I had some great experiences and some awful experiences. And the reason I stopped coaching was because of the parents. Um, A couple weeks back is uh, the time when they have tryouts. And when I was coaching, there were NHL, current NHL players, kids playing for the club that I coached at. And um, oftentimes they, they might be put ahead of other kids just because they had a name recognition. So the one season, um, I picked uh, two of the kids, and sometimes I was told who to pick. And uh, after that, I got a threatening email from one of the parents and uh, said that was the last time I was going to hurt his kids. And we had to have a big meeting uh, with the board, and um, they basically told him, you can't threaten our coaches. I was an unpaid coach. um, And I thought about it after that, and I said, "I I don't need the aggravation and the stress. And um, I think primarily the way it is now, how out of control it is, it's a lot of time uh, devoted by the parents, a lot of money. Um, parents spend tens of thousands of dollars for youth sports, uh, youth 
you know, I'm talking 10, 9, 8, up to 14, 15. They travel all over the place. And now they're looking for, you know, to get into certain high schools and then scholarships uh, in college. And and it's not even the, the scholarship. It's getting into particular colleges based on their a- athletics. They can't get in mm. um, based on their academics because all the kids have, you know, 4.0 averages. And if they can bring a sport with them, that's how they get into school. And those scholarships are not guaranteed. Um, it's a one-year scholarship. And if they can't make the team the following year, they don't kick them out of school, but then they have to pay the bill. And the Ivy League's, they don't, uh, they don't give uh, financial scholarships. It's just basically um, some aid, but it's mostly you pay the way. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, so, what were some of the wa- uh, uh, that the the worst? I guess is that threat that you received, where they said that's the last time you're ever going to do this, basically. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it was pretty threatening. Um, but I've seen them. I've seen parents threaten coaches. I've seen them threaten referees after games and during games. What they do now is in in youth hockey, um, the referee will eject the parent. They'll stop the game. Um, and if the parent refuses to leave the building, um, they will go to the bench. You know, you can usually figure out what team they're with. They'll tell the coach you have to give up the parent. And if the coach won't um, tell the ref who it is, the coach gets ejected, and then the club gets fined. Wow. Uh, my yeah. goodness. I, I just It's beyond me to think that parents are getting so crazy about this. It, it, it is. I've seen... I can't even tell you all the stuff I see. They they they're they're out of their minds. They scream at games. They scream at their kids. Not all. Most of them are fine. Um, and and it's it's a lot of time and a lot of money. And when you're putting all that into it, you expect uh, a lot of results. And you know, I never had a kid that played the sport, so I was very uh, fair with all the kids. And. Um, and it was, you know what? In, in hindsight, it's very rewarding because a lot of kids I coach, I see them, still see them, and see how successful they are. So, well, do you think you would ever go back to coaching? Um, I, I can't do it anymore physically. I got a from from being on the ice all these years. Uh-huh. Uh, I got some physical uh, problems. So, right, well, thank you. Need to be you need to be on skates to coach hockey. Right, yeah, no, that's what I hear. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. 800-848-WABC. Michael is in the Rockaways. Hello, Michael. Hi, good evening, Frank. Thank you for your for your service, whatever you do for the country. You have a great talk, a great show. Well, it's my pleasure. It's not easy, Michael. Like not easy sitting here making jokes and bloviating for four hours, but someone's got to do it, and it's my service to my country that motivates me. And, you know, you're doing a great job. Thank you very much. Not a lot of people like you are out there are talking and bringing the truth to the table and whatever really we need. We need to find the truth, what's really out there. But my point is, you know, we talk, you talked about the UFOs and we talked about the government and about all what's going on. I think there's something a little greater than all this, you know, that nobody could explain what's a UFO. And But what we do see is in our what we have in America today, a fight of religion. It's more religion, religion. And we see also that the more the government is allowing, um, you know, publicly to help out if it's gays or lesbians or anything of that sort, which I'm not against it. But once the government is allowing it and giving it to the table and saying, yeah, we agree with all this, that's when destruction happens. You know, people start fighting with each other. This is what God brings to the world. 
and UFOs could be something from heaven that nobody's going to understand, but they're going to try to keep guessing and going around. We're, we're talking or beating around the bush instead of really saying, what's really the truth? It's religion. God put us in the world for a purpose, and there's a bigger purpose in all this. We keep talking about how we're going to get back to government, how we're going to turn things around. There's nothing to turn around. Everything God controls. If you believe in God and that's what it is, he put us over here for a purpose, and there's going to be these fights. And the way to fight it back is to raise religion up there and say, we believe we want only good. We want to have people to be happy. If you want to be gay, go be gay on the side. No problem. You want to do whatever you want, but right. don't so, Michael, put it into the government. You know, Michael, now I'm not feeding it out to our kids. Right. So, Michael, I'm not, um, you know, I'm certainly not opposed to <clears throat> religion or being gay on the side, as you as you say it. But what does that have to do with the Pentagon not adhering to what they're required to do by Congress in it, giving this information over to the Senate over over these UAP incidents? You know, let me ask you a question. Do you really believe the government after what we saw the past couple of years? Do you believe anything they say that comes out of their mouth? Well, I don't believe. I, I, I mean, think we're at that point of time that it's hard to believe anything they can tell you, and even they can't even explain it. A global warming. What's global warming? What's well, the earth getting hotter? There's, there's, there's both sides of the table. Some people agree, some people don't. But it's, it's very hard to believe anything that comes out of the government today because it just seems to be a bunch of they'll make it their agenda, whatever they want. Yeah, Michael, I hear you. Uh, look, I, I'm, a, I'm as cynical as anybody, Michael, and thanks for the call. But um, I, I, I hear you. But I feel like that sort of cynicism to the point of damn them all attitude is so dangerous. If we start taking the attitude, ah, we can't believe anything anybody says. So who cares if the Pentagon uh, complies with the law? I think, ironically, that cynicism actually lets government institutions that have been deceptive off the hook. And I don't think that's a good solution. I think that's not the way to get the government to be more truthful. I think, on the contrary, I think we need to be asking more of government agencies and that they start being more forthcoming. It's not to say, ah, they don't tell the truth, who cares? I don't think that's the right way to do it, personally. Uh, hey, I want to wish a happy birthday to Florence, who is 93 today. She is the mother of, uh, she's not only a big listener to this show, but she's the mother of one of our great listeners, Catherine Trunk. So uh, Florence is turning 93 today. Apparently she resembles Betty White. And has a quick wit. She loves uh, my cat stories and our show in general. I wish I had a new cat story to give you, Florence. But unfortunately, I don't. Not not very much happened in the last 24 hours that I can report back. I am sure there will be some this weekend, though. You can bet your bottom dollar. But happy birthday. I hope you have many more. And if there's one group of people that I'm very eager to see all of their birthday wishes come true, it is the people that listen to this show. So that's very nice of you. Uh, to listen, Florence, and um, uh, I ap- appreciate the fact that you listen regularly and that you have such a great daughter. Um, hey, um, real quick. So um, I got an email here from James. He says, I played Psycho Killer as bumper music and said the band was the Talking Heads. No, they have an I album titled, the name of this band is Talking Heads. 
There's no the. Yes, that is my error, Jim. Uh, I, I, I said the talking heads. It is just talking heads. You're right. I apologize. I regret the error. So sorry. 800-848-9222. Another Al in Manhattan. Hello there, Al. Hey, Frank. We meet again. So, Frank. We thought this day would never come, Al, but here we are. Oh, so, so. So I took four days off, and I said, well, maybe when I come back, we won't be here anymore because there are predictions on the the 1st, the 15th, and the... So I guess we're still here. I'm still here. And the second point I have to make is about the baseball coaches and all of that. Most of those coaches have their kids playing in the team that they're coaching. And the reason they do that is so that their kids can play more than anybody else. Very few coaches that have their children playing on the team say, oh, we're going to be fit. Everybody's going to play a little bit. So I witnessed it firsthand with my daughter. And she was playing soccer in Orlando. There was this coach that everybody said, oh, you're so lucky. You're so lucky to have this coach. Really? Why? Well, he's the best. Best my butt. What he did was unbelievable. This guy here... The kids are playing. They wind up going up 9 nothing, And at the end of the game, he gets everybody around and says, I know some players didn't play today, but you should thank – listen to this nonsense. You should thank the people that scored all the goals because you didn't have to play today. What did I hear? Did I hear that right? You're telling my kid to thank somebody else because they're much better than my child was, but – uh, the fact of the matter is, how do you tell a kid, thank her for, it's an old girls team, thank her for scoring so many goals because you didn't have to get up a play? Now, can you tell me why a parent wouldn't get mad at that? Well, no, I can certainly understand that. So, But I guess the, the question is how you channel that anger. What did you do? Well, I do. I, uh, I'm not going to make a fool of myself or embarrass my daughter anymore. Right. But you know what? Sometimes a good stare is a good thing. And believe it or not, I mean, I'm not trying to be funny about this. Uh, he cuts my grass down. What, you, the, the coach that didn't play your daughter in that 9 nothing game cuts I, your grass I, now? He cuts my grass. Okay? So, you know, revenge comes in many different ways. <laughs> not that I was being revengeful, because he did dedicate some time, but his daughter played on the team. So let's, you know, let's call it what it is. It's uh, nepotism. Well, look, we do see that, um, but um, look, I, I think that's very big of you that you still hired him as your landscaper, Al. Thank you. But um, I, I guess the question is, do you flip out over somebody like that and curse at them and scream at them, or do you have a polite conversation? Look, you know, the team was already ahead 9 nothing. Couldn't we have given everybody an opportunity to play? And I realize that's easy for me to say being 10,000 feet away, but, you know, it's much more difficult in the heat of the moment. I get that. All right, 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in a minute. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. So, last night, I was invited to this dinner um, by my friend Lee Harrington, who... um, I've known for many years, I guess, about uh, 16, 17 years. And um, she's great. She works in public relations, and uh, she organizes these these dinners. And last night, they're basically policy dinners where you get together with a policymaker or a journalist or an author. Uh, usually it's authors. And you get together with 20 other journalists and discuss their book. And usually I don't go to these. Because I'll be honest, my wife is at the point where if I tell her, uh, you know, sayonara, I'm leaving early. Um, you have to um, be alone with our son for another four hours a day, even though you're alone with him all, all night when he's screaming and I'm out working. Sorry, I'm leaving again early. So I try to minimize the amount of evening events that I go to. But I was really eager to go to this one because this was a dinner for uh, Tony Woodleaf, who's the author. He's uh, the author of this book called I Citizen, which I'm, and I'm hoping to have him on the radio maybe next week. It's a blueprint for reclaiming American self-governance. And it's really interesting. It's it's a book that destroys the narrative that America is totally polarized And it's a book, and I've been reading the book, and I really enjoy it. It's a book that says America is not nearly as polarized as pundits on the left and on the right make us out to be. And Washington may be polarized. And so that's one part of the book. The other part of the book is that, unfortunately, so many of the decisions about government in life are driven by not democracy, not the people, or even the people's democratically elected Representatives, instead, they're driven by bureaucrats at federal agencies and unelected judges. And it's a really interesting book, and it was a really interesting talk. And um, and I was fortunate enough to be able to go to this dinner and get the free dinner, which was a lot of fun, and one or two drinks, which was nice. But, um, I, you know, it's one of these things where whenever there's these dinners, I'm always very conscious of not monopolizing the dinner because I – read through this book and I have an I had an hour's worth of questions. And I said, okay, that's not really fair to the nineteen other journalists in the room. I can't be asking an hour's worth of questions. Instead, let me hear what everyone else has to say and instead try and get them on the radio soon to talk about the book in a lengthier manner. And that's what we're gonna do. But you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of great journalists at this this dinner. Um and a lot of people that I'm a fan of, including one who I've been also trying to get on on the on the show, and she's just just phenomenal. Really like her, but um, there's always at these dinners two or three people that have no problem monopolizing the conversation. And I'm thinking, all right, you just asked a question, and now you're asking another question. Now you're asking another question, and clearly, I can tell by the tenor of your questions that you didn't read the book. So why not give everybody else a turn? To ask a question, I'm not suggesting that we implement some rigid questioning format, but why don't give everybody else a turn? 
So I, I was trying not to do that. I think towards the end, because I was I had to head over here and prepare for the show, so I left before it was over. Not before dessert, though, I will assure you. I, I think towards the end, I um, I maybe was getting a little like that because I asked kind of two questions in rapid succession, but people seem to think they were good questions. So I am hoping to have Tony Woodleaf on, uh, on this show. If you're interested in reading the book, the book's called uh, I, Citizen, A Blueprint for Reclaiming American Self-Governance. My thanks to um, Lee Harrington for inviting me. She's terrific. And her mom apparently listens to this show all the time. See, I'm very popular with the moms. Uh, I, I don't know why that is, but it's always the, the moms that are friends. If all, you know, if, if, all, if, every, if everybody in the world was a mom, I think I, we would have the best show, you know, highest rated show in, in existence. We're already the highest rated show in New York. If we were already, if we had a few more moms out there, we'd be the highest rated show in the country. Um, but yeah, uh, shout out to her mom, Helen Harrington, who uh, listens to this show regularly as well. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But my, you know, it's funny. I ended up sitting at this dinner to the guy whose organization was hosting this dinner. And a nice guy, very nice guy. But by the time I got there, see, I didn't get there for cocktails. I got there just for the dinner. Cocktails started at 6.30, the dinner started at 7. By the time I got there, and this guy, and I want to emphasize, a smart guy and a nice guy, not the author, but the guy who was organizing this dinner. I don't want to embarrass him because he is a nice guy. But the guy's already tanked. He's bombed. He's bombed. And he's sitting next to me. So then throughout the whole dinner, even though he's the one that did an introduction of, oh, we try to have just one conversation going, he's talking to me like crazy about what everyone else is saying because he's drunk. And then, you know, they bring around, you know, have someone go around with wine. Do you want red? Do you want white? Do you want a cocktail? The guy's already got a glass of scotch and a woman is carrying a bottle of red wine and a bottle of white wine. He says, oh, I'll take a glass of each. I said, well, aren't you drinking scotch? Yeah, I'll take a glass of each. And I'm saying, all right, do you really need to make this much of a spectacle? And I just hope that if I'm ever in that position where I am already drunk and ordering a glass of both red and white wine, that there's somebody there that puts a stop to that. We'll see. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Hey, you know who's coming up in about a half hour? Debbie Schlussel, political commentator, attorney, and, yes, film critic. She's going to join us to tell us what movies are worth seeing. Uh, she's always interesting. She's uh, very much a, a fan favorite. And uh, no matter what radio show she goes on, she's always she always sparks controversy. So even if you don't end up agreeing with her politically, she's always fun to listen to, in my opinion. Now, uh, without further ado, it has become a Friday tradition to review who deserves to be publicly rebuked. And it is my job, self-proclaimed, 
to publicly rebuke them. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. I must denounce the township of West Milford, New Jersey. West Milford, New Jersey decided to cut down dozens of trees on Earth Day to block ATV and dirt bike riders. Now, I understand maybe there's a need to keep ATV riders, that's all-terrain vehicles, or dirt bike riders out of the woods. I get it. But isn't there a better way to do that than cutting down all these trees, some of which look very old and are certainly very tall? Let's say there's not. Let's say there's not a better way to do it than cutting down all these trees. I mean, do you have to do it on Earth Day? Is there anything that is a worse look than cutting down all these trees on Earth Day? I think that is a big, big problem. So, uh, West Milford Township, for this decision, I do denounce you. Uh, I must also denounce Strauss, the owner of Elite Chocolate, Strauss Group. More than 100 Elite-branded items, ranging from chocolate bars to chewing gum, have been taken off the shelves due to salmonella concerns. This is a firm that operates in 20 countries, including the U.S. and Canada. So, um, this is horrible. Uh, apparently, they're recalling 101 items, including a range of chocolate and snack products, uh, because it was making people sick. So, evidently, Elite and Strauss was producing stuff while doing construction on their factory. It got contaminated. Their food products, stuff people eat, it got contaminated and they shipped it out anyway. I mean, this is horrible. This is Israel's largest manufacturer, Israel's largest exporter of chocolate bars, and now they're giving salmonella to everybody in the United States and Canada. No one thought, well, okay, maybe when we're having construction done, we shouldn't produce any food. Oh, and if we do happen to produce some food while this construction is going on, maybe we should take a break and, and throw out this batch. No, they sent it out. That's horrible. I must denounce the killer of Carl the Rooster. Uh, the town of Ocean Springs is in mourning, um, 18,000 of them precisely, when, because a, a pillar of the community was killed. The pillar of the community was Carl the Rooster, who was abducted by a woman and a group of men at 3 a.m. on April 24th from one of his preferred sleeping purchases. Now, the woman in the footage, Kendra Schaefer, a corrections officer in Jones County, was seen dumping Carl's dead body in a parking lot 15 minutes later. So news of Carl's death has sparked memorials and outpourings of affection for the bird along with outrage at the action of Kendra Schaefer and her cohorts. Now, this is a small little city in Mississippi. 
what do they really have going for them? They have a celebrity rooster. For this woman and her male companions to take away this celebrity rooster and murder him, and now Ocean Springs has nothing? I I hope they throw the book out at this woman. She's reprehensible. And I'll tell you what, Miss Schaefer and your cohorts, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Oklahoma. I like Oklahoma. It's the state where the wind runs free along the plain. I uh, like the musical Oklahoma. And, you know, I've, met, I've dated quite a few women from Oklahoma. All of them a little quirky, but all of them very beautiful. So I always like the, the Oklahoman women. But a new study from WalletHub has named Oklahoma the worst state in the entire country for nurses. Yes, that's right. They looked at 21 key metrics to determine the best and worst states. And according to the findings, Oklahoma is number 50. So if you're a nurse, stay out of Oklahoma. I want to denounce Michael Bolton, not the singer, but the city trader who made an error. One guy, one guy made an error. And caused a $315 billion flash crash in the European part, uh, markets on Monday. This one guy, Michael Bolton, who, if he was in the movie office space, should have been fired long ago. Um, it's now acknowledged that he triggered this sudden sharp falls in European shares in a matter of minutes. I mean, this is a wild story. Crazy. Crazy. You know what it reminds me of reading this story? You ever see that movie? And I think it was a book, too, but I never read the book. Um, I think I have the book, but I never read it. The book is, and the film, is Rogue Trader. It's a very good film with Ewan McGregor. Now, in the case of Ewan McGregor, it wasn't simply a mistake. It was, you know, chicanery. But not. It's it's worth seeing, Rogue Trader. But this person made one error... And it cost $315 billion of wealth to grow up in smoke. All because this one trader made an error when inputting the transaction. Now, thankfully, they were able to identify the error and correct it. But still, if that doesn't get you denounced, I don't know what does. Uh, I want to denounce Robert Guarini. I don't know where to begin with this guy. 50 years old, clearly the guy's got some money. I guess he likes cars. He's a GT, a Ford GT owner in Boca Raton. He recently purchased a supercar for, ready for this? $704,000. $704,000. Bought it at auction in Palm Beach. 2006 Heritage Edition GT. And he crashed it into a tree on Friday. Because according to what he told police, he was unfamiliar with how to drive stick shift. Now, I don't know how to drive stick shift either. But 
if I didn't know how to drive stick shift, which I don't, don't you think maybe you would learn, or at least I I would tell you I would learn before riding around in a seven hundred four thousand dollar car? It's crazy. What a waste. How's he going to replace this? I mean, I'm sure he had insurance, but I don't know that you can get insurance for the full value just because of your idiocy. Is there idiotic insurance? Is there, I'm too stupid to learn how to drive a stick shift before uh, I crash a $704,000 car to a tree insurance? I don't think there is. There might be. If you work in the insurance business and you're aware of this, please let me know. Um, I want to denounce the group Ruth sent us. This is a left-wing activist group, or it's a series of groups, that are now, they are publishing the home addresses of Justices Amy Coney Barrett, John Roberts, Sam Alito, Brett Kavanaugh, Clarence Thomas, and Neil Gorsuch, essentially encouraging people to show up at their homes and protest. This is awful. Like, I, I, I said this when de Blasio was mayor and was doing a horrible job and he was murdering our city. I said, there's no excuse for showing up at Bill de Blasio's house. There's no excuse for showing up at Dermot Shea's house. It is absolutely inappropriate to show up at someone's home. You want to protest in front of their office, a place of business, fine. Protest in front of the Capitol, more power to you. But not only is this inappropriate and a tremendous invasion of privacy, but in my view, this potentially puts these justices in danger. So I don't know what kind of human being would ever do something like this. But if if you're part of Ruth sent us or you think it's okay to publish Supreme Court justices home addresses, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the DMV. Um so I moved into our we moved into a new house over two years ago. And I've been trying to get a new driver's license so that I have a new form of ID with my new address because my driver's license has my old address. So I'm not able to order checks or anything like this. And so finally, a week or two ago, I think it was two weeks ago, I finally figure out that the DMV website is one of the most unuser-friendly websites in the world. And you have to to log on to change your address. All right, go ahead, log on. Okay, that password doesn't work. All right, click here if you forgot your password. I'm clicking here. Click here to reset your password. Okay, I'm resetting my password. All right, well, what was the make of your first car? Okay, it was that. What's your maternal grandfather's first name? It was that. Oh, sorry, one of your answers is wrong. All right, well, do I have any of the options? No. Okay, then finally, I, I go to all this trouble. It takes me like 45 minutes to figure out how to log on to the DMV website to create a new password. Meanwhile, I'd love to know all the people that want to steal my identity to log on to the DMV website. Most of the people out there try to steal Alex Barnard's identity. So finally, I'm able to change my password, and I request a new driver's license with my current address. And here we are, almost two weeks later, still nothing. Zip, zilch, zero, nada. No new driver's license. So I still am not able to use my driver's license as proof of my address. It's the most in the world. 
DMV and whatever vendor may put your website together, I do denounce you. And finally, I have to denounce the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. I think if you listen to the show, you know that even though I didn't vote for Eric Adams and campaigned against Eric Adams and spoke out vocally against him, I have tried to be fair to him. But I'll tell you, what happened last weekend was completely inexcusable and uncalled for. So every Saturday, um, not every Saturday, every year, there's this collection of journalists called The Inner Circle that put on a show. And Dominic Carter usually performs. He didn't perform this year. But they haven't done it for the last two years. This is the first year they've done it since 2019. So it was a big deal. And The Inner Circle is a great group. They raise a ton of money for local charities. It's wonderful. And I've been to the Inner Circle before. It's a great show. It's a lot of fun. All the glitterati of New York go. I couldn't go this year because we had the um, rehearsal for my son's baptism. But these journalists that perform in the Inner Circle, they work so hard. And the, the amount of effort that they put into putting on this show is really admirable. This is, by the way, in addition to their regular jobs. They all do their regular job. And still put in all this time practicing and rehearsing and writing all these skits for the inner circle. Eric Adams, he did go to this, but he shows up late. Uh, and, and significantly late. He, he shows up there about an hour and a half late. Now, I find that So incredibly disrespectful. Now, I'd rather him show up late to the inner circle dinner than a crime scene or an accident or like Bill de Blasio used to. Bill de Blasio used to show up late to scheduled events. But but why go? Why go? If if you're going to show these journalists who, meanwhile, a lot of the show is about you. And Tracy Morgan is doing a big thing for you. The guy that plays Eric Adams on Saturday Night Live, Chris Red, is doing a mock mock preference about press conference about you. Why be so disrespectful that you're going to come an hour and a half, two hours late? I, I find it really low rent and um, a message to the journalists. And I know you may not like the ones that aren't black, and you may, may think that you might get better coverage. If um, they looked like you. But I found that so incredibly disrespectful. I would almost you rather not go say, I'm sorry, I'm too busy being the mayor of New York City. Which, of course, he's not doing. You know where he is today? Los Angeles, Los Angeles, Uh, hanging out with Dave Chappelle, consoling him after getting uh, assaulted by a Will Smith wannabe. I mean, The guy has not fixed a light bulb in New York City yet, and yet he's in Los Angeles already. Why is he in Los Angeles? You think maybe we can get a hold of things here before going to Los Angeles, before you're late for things out there? Um, So I got to tell you, I thought that move by Eric Adams to show up two hours late to the inner circle was completely inappropriate, way low rent. And uh, Mayor Adams, I wish you the best. I'm rooting for you to succeed. But I do denounce you. 
800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Before we get to Debbie Schlussel, there's a few people that have been patiently holding, and several of them are named Corey. So I want to get to as many of the Corys as possible, and then uh, we're going to talk to Debbie Schlussel. Let me first begin with Corey in Palm Bay, Florida. Corey, hello. Hello, Frank. It's Corey from Brooklyn, but I'm in Palm Bay. Um, I don't have too much time for you, but uh, (laughs) that's why I waited on hold. I appreciate Um, that. Thank you. But uh, I think the guy's a schmohawk. I can say schmohawk, right? Which which guy? Uh, Eric Adams. Ah. Unfortunately. I think he's a carpetbagger. Uh, fake phony fugazi, like he would say. Uh, anyways, I called about these parents going overblowing things, attacking coaches, attacking umpires, referees. What kind of example are you sending for your kids? Like it's as soon as you don't that your outcome is you don't like it, you attack somebody. I think it's terrible, absolutely terrible. terrible. And the other thing uh, reminded me about uh, the government not uh, the Pentagon not divulging information on. UFOs and or extraterrestrials. It reminds me of uh, President Reagan, the nine most terrifying words. Um, right, I'm from the, the government, government, and we're here to help. We're, yeah, right. That's very funny. So, and that, and that's, and that's, that's not. That should, should be the other way. You know, they should be here to help. Should be here to help us. Give us the information we need. Should be allowed to have that. We pay them. They work for us. And well, that's all. You have a great show. Thank you, Corey. Corey is also in Rockland. Hello, Corey. Hey, Frank. How you doing? Um, I think I'm doing okay, but I guess that's subject for debate. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Um, so, I, yeah, I also wanted to make a comment about um, the kids' sports uh, leagues. And, and um, you know, I didn't hear all of that. I jumped in the car. I was on my way home. I didn't hear all of that, that first caller <clears throat> about, the guy who took his daughter and, and left like the field or whatever, left the game. But, um, uh, you know, I just, I get it. I don't agree with parents going after coaches, but I can tell you up in Rockland, I have friends in Westchester and Long Island and maybe it's a New York thing. I'm not sure, but I can definitely speak for Rockland. You know, a lot of these rec sports, um, are just not cut out to be, what they should be and uh they're not what they used to be i think when i was growing up you know i have a nine-year-old and i have him in sports and you know uh the coach tells my kid he's playing lacrosse i got him playing lacrosse which now he he doesn't like because the coach doesn't take enough time into it and um he tells him oh i'm gonna put you in midfield which uh uh is a position and uh he never does it so my kid brings that up to me um, and it's like, I'm watching it. He puts the kids that are good in, not just his own kid, but other kids that are good. And they play the, the whole time. And, you know, parents pay a good amount of money for this stuff. And those, those travel leagues, you pay even more. And, and the, the problem with those travel leagues is, and I think a lot of this stuff is done money wise. People are trying to make a buck, you know, even with the, uh, the rec leagues, 
I'd pay $450 for, you know, uh, six weeks worth of uh, youth lacrosse that they don't really teach them. It's an hour practices once a week, a game once a week, and uh, they don't do much. And, and you know what? It's shame on these programs uh, that these parents do get frustrated. I, I mean, again, I didn't hear that la- that one caller, but I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, there's a lot of reason to be frustrated with this stuff. It's, you know, somebody needs to regulate this stuff in a lot of these areas. And, um, you know, you got to teach kids to win. You got to teach kids to, I think that's important. Winning is not everything, but you got to teach them to do best, to practice, to be the best that they can be. And they also need to understand when they're not, and some kids are better than them, and learn to accept that and, and understand that and then accept that because that's what we've got away from a lot. And I think that explains for the generations today is people don't know how to accept that. Hey, I'm good, but that person is better. And, and, you know, they, they're okay with that. No, I I would agree. I would agree with you, Corey. Well said. I couldn't have said it any better. Uh, Let me squeeze in one more call here before we get to uh, Debbie Schlossel. Bob is in Columbus, Ohio. Hello, Bob. Hey, Frank, how you doing? Great. All right. Well, uh, first of all, I've, um, I'm almost 60 years old, and I've had a couple of boys in sports uh, that were very great at it. And uh, what I can warn you about is beware of any coach that has their own children in the game, and when, especially when you start to see how they're not as good. Beware of any coach that does not allow parents to be present during practices. Um, I'm talking, yeah, 10, 15 years ago, this is happening in Columbus, Ohio. It's crazy. But uh, there's nothing good that's ever going to happen when a parent is not allowed to be present at a practice. Well, yeah, I mean, I... um... Is that common for coaches to prohibit parents from attending the practice? I don't think – I don't know because I haven't been around the world. But what I do know is um, when someone says something to you at the beginning of your class – I had a professor in accounting who said, oh, whatever you do, you don't need to show up to class all the time. As long as you get good grades on your tests, you're fine. And then at the last day for the final test in college, he said, oh, by the way, um, all your homework that you said, I said I, you didn't need to do comes for 10% of your grade. And even though I aced 100% on all my tests, I got like a 89%. And I experienced the exact same thing with the coaches with my children saying, oh, you, your performance is what matters. You practice at home. You don't have to practice in front of me. Uh, beware. There are these people that do exist, and they, they, they do exist. Yeah. And, and one other thing is um, regarding your stick shift um, situation, I learned how to drive on a stick shift, and the first time I ever drove one, was a 1978 Z28, and I had it mistakenly in reverse. Oh, my. In a manual, yeah. 
and my dad was in the passenger seat, and if he didn't steer that wheel away from the parking lot, we were in uh, that had a light post there. I would have totaled it. And after that, I learned how to drive a stick shift the right way. And then subsequently, uh, my girlfriend, who was my fiance at the time, on her 18th birthday, uh, bought a stick shift without telling her parents or me, her fiance. She drove it off the parking lot and within a few minutes totaled. Oh, see, that's uh, she would have been denounced. I mean, it's not as bad in her case because it wasn't a seven hundred and four thousand dollar car. But still, I I don't know. uh, You got to learn to drive a stick shift before you drive these expensive cars. I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm glad she was okay, Bob, I have to run because Debbie Schlussel is waiting in the wings. Um, We're going to talk with Debbie. I'll pick her brain on some legal issues as well, maybe even some political issues. But I want to get her take on what movies are worth seeing. Uh, We'll talk with the one and only Debbie Schlussel straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano, 77 WABC. Gary Wilson singing Debbie Debbie. Well, we have one of my favorite Debbies on the line. She is an attorney, a pundit, a commentator, a blogger, and uh, we occasionally tap into her expertise as a film reviewer as well. Debbie, it has been far too long since we spoke. How have you been? It's great to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me back on. And by the way, I think I just found a new Debbie song I've never heard before. Well, that makes two of us. That makes two of us. <laughs> hey, uh, before we talk about movies, um, a, a, a listener just emailed me when I was promoting your appearance and said, ask Debbie when she'll start posting to com again. Uh, I used to love reading her analyses of border issues, law, terrorism, and more. Um, have, have you stopped posting to your blog? Uh, you know, I was temporarily. What happened was I had a TV show for a year um, ending last year, and I just when you do a TV show, it takes up so much of your time. Mm. Plus, I was practicing law. I needed a break. We are redoing my website, and it will be redone soon. And when it is redone, then I'm going to start posting stuff regularly again. And I, you know, I I now have a very very busy law practice, so I am going to once it's fixed, I'm going to do it again. It's just that and doing that TV show kept me from sure. it, but I will be back soon. What um what is the bulk of the? And thank you, by the way, to that person. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I will uh, thank him as well for uh, bringing that to our attention. What is the bulk of the legal work that you do? Do you have a specialization? Uh, yeah. So right now I'm doing mostly criminal defense. Um, I do, you know, a little bit of everything, but that is the bulk of my work right now. I've chosen to do that because um, it's more interesting and, uh, and I enjoy doing it. Yeah, no, no. Well, that's great. All right. Um, let me ask you about your 
before we talk film, what's happening legally? Obviously, the big news this week is this leaked uh, Sam Alito draft decision on um, the Mississippi abortion case, which uh, essentially undoes Roe versus Wade and the uh, Casey abortion decision. What was your take, not necessarily on the leak, which I know a lot of conservatives have focused on, but on the substance of the decision as well? Did you have a chance to read Sam Alito's opinion or the draft opinion? And what did you take? uh, What was your take on it? Did you think it was sound? Yes, I did read it. And I do think that it is sound. Uh, We have known for years because Justice Harry Blackman, who wrote the Roe versus Wade decision, said it in interviews that he basically pulled it out of his rear end, that it really wasn't based on anything constitutional. He said that there was a right to privacy that covered um, a woman's so-called right to have an abortion um, in the Constitution. And he said this fell under some kind of number in the Constitution. And that's probably the first and only time I've ever heard that word used, penumbra. Um, And there is no such penumbra in the Constitution. He made it up. And the reason he made it up is he wanted to give women the right to have an abortion, um, which some people erroneously call the right to choose because the baby never gets the right to choose. Um, and listen, this that movement does not believe in the right to choose. They didn't believe in my right to choose whether I wanted a vaccine, whether I wanted to wear a mask, um, even if I want my right to choose to use a, pre- a plastic straw they don't believe in. So they're not into the right to choose. Um, and I would argue that I do that the Constitution has more of a number uh, over my right to choose a plastic straw or a plastic bag at the store than it does um, the right to get an abortion. And sometimes up to eight and a half you know, months or even almost nine months in these partial birth abortions that are still legal um, in many states and are basically around the country. And that's the problem with the um, original Roe v. Wade decision. This really was a state's rights issue. It was never uh, something where there was this so-called penumbra that's constitutional. So that is really the um, essence of what Judge Alito said, that it was an erroneous decision, that it was wrong, and it should, never should have been decided that way. And I agree with him. And so does the author of the Roe versus Wade decision, mm. Justice Harry Blackman, because, again, he has admitted, or, and not even just admitted, he's bragged in interviews that he basically made it up. He He said that. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what not only the legal implications are, but the political implications. Hey, another story which I found so interesting, and I was surprised that I hadn't seen it until you sent it to me, because I consider myself, um, you know, a pretty keen observer of um, of all aspects of news. And this has to do with an actor that I really like, Frank Langella. People may remember him from Frost Nixon or uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7 most recently. He was also great in Dracula, Good Night and Good Luck. He's great in Red Dragon. He's a wonderful actor. He has not only one of those great voices, but just a great look. And apparently he's the latest victim of cancel culture. What happened to Frank Langella? Yeah, so I remember hearing some rumblings about this, and I didn't really know the exact story, but I I started to follow it because, I, I like you, I am a fan of Frank Langella. He is a great actor. 
Um, he was on the set of this show where he was the lead actor in the fall of the house of usher. Um, the latest version of it that Netflix was making, it's an Edgar Allan Poe, um, uh, based, um, drama, I guess. And, he he was on this set for three months and there was three weeks left of shooting. And the actress who plays his much younger wife, whose name escapes me, she complained because he put her hand, his hand on her leg when they were shooting a love scene, which it's a love scene. Hello. Um, and they said, well, you know, our intimacy coordinator, which all these, these sets now have didn't choreograph a touch on the leg. Um, and so for that, he got labeled um, a hashtag Me Too person, and his whole career basically is over, or at least will be for some time, because we know what happens to people when somebody says, oh, you did this, and I'm offended, blah, blah, blah. So the woman apparently left the set, and then he was told um, that there are these issues, don't come back, and... And he was kicked off the show and he still hasn't even been paid um, and he's been canceled. So he wrote an op-ed piece in Deadline Hollywood, which originally broke the story. And I think people should read it because about what happened to him. And basically, because this woman claimed that he touched her leg, it claimed that this was not coordinated, that um, he all of a sudden is this great ogre. And, you know, I think that we've gone way overboard. This was a love scene. Maybe you could, maybe she could have said, excuse me, take your hand off my leg or did you do this by accident? Whatever. He, he never even got the chance to respond or explain himself. He was just canceled. Oh, my um, goodness. And, and listen, I can understand if somebody put their hand up someone's skirt or down their blouse. Absolutely, they should be fired. But this is not what happened. They were shooting a love scene on a set um, where she plays his wife. And I just think we've gone way overboard and it's ridiculous. Yes, there are some legitimate cases of of uh, unwanted touching that are that should result in cancellation. This is not one of them. And we have to have a sense of proportion these days and common sense here. Oh, uh, I should say so. I mean, that's. That's horrible. Well, I'm hoping that, um, you know, in some cases we see a little bit of a backlash against preemptive cancellation. So I'm hoping this is one of those one of those cases, because uh, it seems it seems a real shame uh, that this is happening to uh, to anybody, uh, but especially to Frank Langella. All right. Um, I agree. We're talking with Debbie Schlussel. You could check out what's left of her website at DebbieSchlussel.com. Um, and um, there's a, a lot of people are very excited about the new Doctor Strange movie. I don't know how many Doctor Strange movies we're up to. I saw the first one and I and I liked it. I don't know if there were if there were others. I know he's in at least one of the Avengers movies. I kind of have lost track with all these superhero movies. But have you seen the new Doctor Strange film? And is this going to be the latest savior of Hollywood? I did see it. Um, they say that the ticket sales are outpacing. Um, pretty much most uh, post-COVID movies. And um, it is technically the second Doctor Strange movie, I believe, although Doctor Strange was in the Spider-Man movie that is still in theaters that came out in January. Ah. Um, I, You know what I liked about the first, I would say, 20 minutes, and then it just became a mess? I think it's called Doctor Strange Into the Multiverse or something like that. 
Um, you know, I loved the first Doctor Strange movie. I thought it was really good. I liked it. It was a classic linear superhero movie, um, a lot different than most of the superhero movies we see nowadays right. that are a mess, have too many characters and too much going on and are confusing and nonsensical. Unfortunately, this movie became all of those things. So when it, it started out nice enough, there is this giant octopus with uh, more than eight legs and lots of mini legs and one giant eye. I call it a like uh, a cyclopsipus, um that is trying to destroy the major city that looks like downtown New York. Um, and Dr. Strange has to find out who is behind this cyclopsipus and which is trying to get at this girl who he finds out has special powers because she can go back and forth between different parts of the um, universe and different worlds and different times. Um, and But then it just became, becomes a mess because there are so many characters and so many different multiverses. There are, there are two scenes in the movie um, uh, that have um, uh, the guy from Evil Dead, Bruce, Oh, my gosh. And his name escapes me. His last name, um, Bruce. Oh, my gosh. And he's from right near where Bruce I live. Bruce Campbell. Bruce and Campbell. Bruce Campbell. Exactly. And the reason why it's like killing me that I forgot the last name is that his brother, Don Campbell, is a friend of mine and was at the movie oh. and knew his brother was going to be in the movie. And I thought it was cool. And and it's interesting because Bruce Campbell is um, a classic Hollywood liberal. Um, and my friend, his brother, Don Campbell, was a guard in Gitmo and served in the U.S. Army, career Army uh, person. Thanks for your service, Don, and is a conservative and was a guard at Gitmo and he has told me so many fascinating stories. Well, that is interesting. Uh, so would you say um, that, the, I mean, it sounds like the second one is not, it's not in, on par with the first one. To say the least, not not even close. All right, not for me. And listen, there was nothing objectionable about the movie. It's just too much going on. Gotcha. Okay. A lot. Fair enough. All right. Uh, but maybe if you're a fan of the franchise and you really love the first one, maybe you'd enjoy this one as well. Right. And one other thing, there are two stingers. So you know, a lot stingers are those scenes that come after the movie ends. There's one in the middle of the credits. But then you have to stay until the very end of the credits, and there's a second stinger. And to me, that was my favorite scene of the whole movie. Mm. Uh, no, that um, well, I like those a lot. Those post-credit uh, little snippets. So um, we'll see. I'm not going to make a special trip to the theater for that. But you know, if people want to do that, then uh, then they can. Hey, I know this Nicolas Cage film has been getting a lot of attention. The unbearable weight of massive talent. What is this film about, and uh, what was your take on it? I enjoyed it for what it is. This is basically Nicolas Cage parodying himself, and he plays himself. Um, sometimes there are two of him in a scene, and he is in, in uh, debt heavily, and he has to take this gig that he did not want to do to uh, hang out with this super fan at the super fan's birthday party in Spain. Um, and so he goes there and he meets the super fan. And soon the CIA is involved telling him that this super fan is a crime mastermind and an international gangster kingpin. And they're enlisting him for his help. 
Um, there were a lot of funny lines. I should have laughed a lot more than I did, though. Um, but I did laugh. I did enjoy it. It's a light escapist movie. It's not a great movie. But if you're a Nicolas Cage fan or if you enjoy this kind of genre where people make fun of themselves, then it's for you. And there was nothing objectionable about it. It did seem to be a little repetitive and maybe they could have cut a little bit of it out out of it. But it was decent. I, I enjoyed it. And there, I like Nicolas Cage. Well, so do I. Was there any um, political subtext that people should be on the lookout for here? Nothing like that oh, in this right. movie. Okay, well, that's nice for a change. All right, um, what yeah. is The Survivor? That's on HBO Max. So this movie just came out, and I like this. I'm actually almost done with it. It just came out, um, and I enjoy it because it's an interesting story that, that I've never heard of before. And oh, oh, this is, the, is, is this the, the boxer? Yes. Yes, okay, is. yes. Tell us about this. I want to see this. I've read about this. Yes, yeah, so Harry Happ. Um, was a, a boxer who um, boxed in America, didn't have such a great career, but he actually uh, did box Marciano and so on. Um, he lost to him. He was in. Uh, he was taken to Auschwitz. Most of his family was wiped out. In fact, I believe all of his family was wiped out. And he was forced, the Nazis saw that he could fight, and they forced him for their entertainment to box different people every week. And they picked out other Jews, some of whom he probably knew who were probably from his hometown. They forced him to beat them basically till they were unconscious. And the people who he beat, then they executed them. And he unfortunately was forced to do that with at least 67 other people. So he didn't really want to box. But um, that is what they forced him to do. And it's very, very tragic. Now, his real life story was that he and his brother, the Nazis, locked them into this one uh, room to sleep. And unfortunately, there was cannibalism and other things that is not depicted in the movie. But the story is very, very sad. And he was very sad for the rest of his life. He was trying to find his sweetheart who um, he met right before he was rounded off. Auschwitz, he felt like she was alive, and part of the movie is about his search for her. And I just think it's a very moving story, and it's one we haven't heard before. Um, and Ben Foster plays uh, Harry Haft. He is actually living in New York for some of the movie, so there are local ties to the movie. So it's not a it's not a documentary; it's a motion picture based on true events. Right. And that's uh, if people want to learn more about it, it's on it's on HBO Max. Harry Haft. Uh, that lo- does look interesting. I'm looking forward to checking that out. Uh, what is the Duke? So the Duke just came out in uh, Art House Movie Theaters last week. And this stars um, uh, Jim Broadbent and Helen Mirren. And I enjoyed this movie. Frank, did you know that in Great Britain or at least in England, that people have to buy licenses every year in order to watch television. No. It's illegal. I had no this idea. It's crazy. It's illegal to watch TV there unless you pay this TV license every year, and it goes to fund BBC. And I guess it's the same way we are forced to fund PBS and NPR through our taxes. But but I, I to the idea that you have to have a license, so the main character in this movie, played by Jim Broadbent, this is a true story. 
he is a political protester and he's protesting against this license. So he's against big government. He takes the tube out of his TV that enables him to watch BBC and thinks he shouldn't have to pay for it. He gets arrested for that and is sent to to prison for two weeks for not paying to to fund BBC. This is crazy. And then um, he is also a failed playwright and political activist. He uh, writes this play about if Jesus were uh, a woman. It's called The Adventures of Susan Christ. I thought that was funny. Um, But he's basically failed at these things, and he's a taxi cab driver, and he can't hold a job because he's a dreamer. And his wife, Ellen Marin, is a maid who really works hard for very wealthy people who are members of the government and um, he who are involved in the government. And he and his son are his sons are kind of near to wells. And all of a sudden, one of his sons or somebody in his family takes this painting called the Duke of Wellington. That is a famous Goya painting. They break into a museum and the painting is taken and he is accused of it and he's put on trial. And it's a just a very fun, light movie. It's funny. It's cute. It's escapist. I enjoyed it. Um, I did like the ending, but it's apparently the true story of what happened. But I just enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, once in a while, it's good to see a light British uh, film that's kind of a dramedy or, or you know, a comedy slash drama. Um, and the one complaint I would have is that, you know, sometimes the English accents are so heavy not necessarily cockney, but they're so heavy mm. and so quick. I wish I could have had subtitles. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, a lot of people felt that way with the Kenneth Branagh film uh, Belfast as well. I, I did hear that from yeah. a, a number of folks. I, by the way, I think this is like a uh, – I think this might be a new record. I've never heard you give so many positive reviews to so many <laughs> different films in one in one segment. We'll see if we can keep the, the um, streak going. The Northman. What's the Northman? So I absolutely, we can't keep it going uh, because I absolutely hated this movie. So um, this movie stars Alexander Skarsgård as a um, as a Viking, essentially. He is a prince who is the son of one of the Viking kings. And his father, one day when he's little, is murdered by his uncle, who is a area who is a neighborhood king i guess and his mother is kidnapped and he spends the rest of his youth and his early adulthood training to fight his uncle and get his revenge and then he is sold into slavery to his uncle and he tries to get his revenge now i'm making it sound way better than it is this movie was long slow Mm. and boring and it's very dreadful and nicole kidman is his mother and her accent is horrible and it's just kind of laughable when she's in different scenes because she's had too much Botox lately in a lot of her movies. And it, it, I just, her face is almost comical to me. Not as bad in this movie, but still noticeable. And I just, the movie was dreadful. I just thought it was going to end a million times. And when it finally did, I, it was uh well past time. Uh, well, uh, on that note, we will end it there. Debbie, it is always a treat to have you on. I hope we can do this again soon. Hope you have a great weekend. Thank you. Great to be back. You too. Thank you. Uh, Debbie Schlussel, who I have said repeatedly should be the conservative voice on The View. If you listen to um, what they've been saying they want in a, one of the conservative women on The View, it really should be Debbie. 
Uh, I think she'd be a great choice. I mean, I, I'd love to see her up there with uh, Whoopi Goldberg and the rest. And if you look at the criteria that they've spelled out, I can't think of a better uh, person. Um, but we'll see. 800-848-WABC. If you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far, that's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. We're going to take your calls in just a minute. 800-848-9222. Uh, it's Friday. Hopefully you're doing something fun today. I'm trying to think. I have a couple of other... I have a couple of errands to run today. Uh, we have to stay on Fridays for our weekly meeting. Are we doing that today? We didn't do it this week. We are doing it. So, um, so be it. So, um, we're going to have our weekly meeting at 7, which means that I have to move my car. And then uh, we will... Um, hopefully I'll go home, get a little rest, run a couple of errands. And then my friend um, Johnny P had invited me over. Now, last Friday, I don't remember, I was running around, I was busy, and my wife was annoyed with me for whatever reason. I know that strikes me, strikes you as a bit of a stretch, right? So, I, but I felt bad because I didn't end up seeing Johnny P the previous week and he's been wanting to get together and so I said, well, why don't you come over? So he comes over. He says, well, I still really want you to come over so you can see this setup that I have at my house. He's got an interesting recording studio or something. Really want you to see it. So I, I said I would try and drop by today. So I'll probably do that today. Then tomorrow, Saturday, my wife and I and Carmine are going out to Long Island. We're going to visit my mother-in-law for Mother's Day. And... We're going to my my little cousin. It's my second cousin once removed. My second cousin once removes Holy Communion, which is themed with a mermaid tea party. So I got a mermaid T-shirt to wear. Hopefully the weather is nice enough that I can wear it. And um, that's that. And that's fr- Saturday and then Sunday. I think we're just going to do a uh, picnic somewhere near... Uh, our neighborhood for for Mother's Day, so that'll be that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that, uh, and you know, hopefully, we'll be able to squeeze in some. I don't know if we're going to be. I'm going to be able to catch up on much reading or or anything else, but because we got a lot of running around to do, but it'll be uh, at least I'll be with with Rachel, and we'll get to spend some time with one another. It seems like sometimes even on the weekends we don't get to spend as much time with one another as we'd uh, we'd prefer. But at least even if we're stuck in the car driving to Long Island, two and a half hours both ways, then depending on the traffic, then uh, at least we'll be stuck uh, together. Carol is in New Jersey. Hello, Carol. Hi there. I love that interview with Debbie Schwassel. Thank you. Um, Yeah. I mean, she had so much wonderful information about entertainment. And you know that I'm involved in entertainment or I used to be anyway. Um oh that was an excellent interview. 
Mm, well, thank you, Carol. I appreciate that. Are you going to see any of the films that she recommended? Oh, yeah. Well, I already saw Belfast. And well, that I, wasn't one of the I, ones that she represent, re- recommended. but I know, but I thought it was excellent, though, that I'm Irish. I'm primarily Irish, so that's why I love Belfast, because that's where my family came from. Well, that's that's very nice. I didn't know that, Carol. Thank you. Uh, appreciate the compliment and the kind words. Hey, you know what? Speaking of entertainment. I got a lot of feedback when I mentioned a documentary the other day. So one listener suggested that we do something interesting. I'll tell you about what it is in just a minute. But I want you to think, what is the best documentary you've ever seen? Just think and then be ready to tell me. Until next hour, your influence counts. So use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. So I realize not everybody listens to every minute of all four hours of the show, and that's fine. By the way, if you don't, you should catch up on the podcast. You can either search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano in any podcast app, or you can just go to fmwabc.com and catch up on any portion of the podcast that you might miss. Um, but the best thing to do in order to get the whole show each and every day is just search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano on iTunes, Spotify, CastBox, whatever. Hit the subscribe button. While you do that, by the way, uh, you can do us a favor and leave us a nice review. If you leave a five-star review along with a positive comment, that helps other people discover this show uh, and this pod in podcast form. So you'd be doing us a, a mitzvah. If you would do that now, the other day we were talking about obesity, specifically childhood obesity, obesity, and I talked about high fructose corn syrup and in my typical manner in which I just go stream of consciousness from one subject to a somewhat related one to a somewhat related one to a somewhat related one. I end up talking about this documentary called King Corn. Got to tell you. I am shocked that people actually listen to what I say on this show because I got no fewer than 11 emails and text messages. If you ever want to send me an SMS text message, you can do so at 8168Morano. Although there was one guy that was really annoying and I've, I've blocked him. That's my new thing. I'm blocking people. 
if you're if you're super annoying and you persist in being annoying, block, block, block. <clears throat> Done. So he's he's blocked. But anyway, um, a lot of people out of the eleven folks that wrote to me said they loved this documentary. And one fella emailed me. I'll see if I can get him um, get his name so that I could give him pop, pop, proper credit. And he said, you know, you have a lot of um, – this was Luis is what he wrote. Oh, no, it wasn't Luis. Well, anyway, he says you have a lot of people that follow, you know, your recommendations on things. Maybe you can do a weekly documentary feature. Will you talk about what documentary you've seen that week, encourage other people to, you know, see it, and then call in maybe with their own documentary recommendation? And my initial thought was I'm not going to do that because I don't see at least one documentary a week. I don't see – I feel like I don't see one – anything a week these days because my time is so limited. But I thought to myself, well, look – there's a lot of people in our audience that might enjoy a good documentary. And look, I know the weather was nice yesterday. I think we're in store for nice weather this weekend for the most part. Matt Blaze, do you know if that is accurate? Are we in store for nice weather this weekend? Can you speak to that at all? I do not know, but I'll check check it for you. Philippe, are you, can you speak to that at all? It was nice today, and if uh, I don't know. I have no idea. Well, yeah, I don't need your help in telling me what the weather was. Well, I was just assuming. It was yesterday. nice today. You know, it might be it's supposed nice to rain tomorrow. tomorrow. Oh, okay. All right. Very Meaning <laughs> Saturday. Very, very helpful, uh, both of you guys. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but um, so Saturday, it's supposed to rain. Now, maybe some people will not be able to take advantage of the outdoor activities that spring affords people. And they're going to be indoors. And they don't watch reruns of The Office and Seinfeld again. Maybe they want to see a documentary. So I thought it might be fun. I'm not going to do this as a weekly feature. I'm kind of thinking we just do it as a one-off. I thought it might be fun to invite you to call in and make a documentary recommendation. One, maybe two. No, not beyond two. I don't want you to. I made a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine documentaries that I thought are are just excellent. Actually, let me let me. I just thought of one more. Ten. I've I've just made a, a list of ten documentaries that I thought are really really good that I think are worth seeing. And if people don't call in, I'll read you my ten. But I thought it might be fun if you were to call in at eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 and just said, "Hey, you know, this is a documentary that I think you should see." Here's what it's about in a nutshell, and here's why. That's it. That's it. 800-848-9222. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one. I'll give you a couple now. Um, and these are all documentaries that I haven't seen in a while, but they're all very good. Um, one is a documentary. Now, I realize this is a little self-serving. This is a documentary that I'm actually a producer of. It's on Netflix, and it is very relevant to what's happening in the country now. I think when we were making it, we didn't have an idea of exactly how relevant it was going to be into the future. But it's a Netflix original documentary, and you'll see right at the beginning, producer Frank Morano 
It's called Get Me Roger Stone. And if you th- if you hate Roger Stone or you don't like Roger Stone and you hate Donald Trump and you don't like Donald Trump, it's still watchable. It's still it's not a love letter to Donald Trump or Roger Stone at all. If you like Roger Stone before this film, you'll still like him. If you don't like Roger Stone um, before the film, you still won't like him. It's not a propaganda piece at all. And that's what I think separates it from a lot of political documentaries. You watch a lot of political documentaries and it's almost like they they try and proselytize and they try and um, convince you of something. I, I don't think we do that with Get Me Roger Stone. And I'll tell you, the three directors of this film, who Roger doesn't speak with anymore, but that's a separate discussion, the three directors of this film... None of them voted for Trump, to my knowledge. And they're all, you know, progressive Trump haters. But it's one of those films where I think people of all political persuasions can enjoy it. I certainly, and again, I know I'm a little biased because I'm a producer of the film. I certainly did. So uh, that's one that I would recommend. If you haven't seen Get Me Roger Stone, it is available on Netflix. Check it out. And if you're into politics or into learning about politics, you're into learning about Trump or the 2016 election or his history with Roger Stone. I uh, I definitely think you should check it out. I, you know, there's so much great footage that we shot for that film that didn't make it into the film. There are interviews, many interviews with me that are not in the film. Interviews with Curtis Sliwa, not in the film. Bob Grant, Judge Andrew Napolitano, Dan Rather, Tom Kane. Um. The governor, senior, Tom Kane, senior, and I'm sure a bunch of other people that that um, I can't think of at the moment. But that's what we were able to do in this film. I mean, well, I mean, I, I didn't have final cut. I would have included some other people also. But there was so much footage that we shot for this over the course of five years that didn't make it into the film. It really was. I, I think it's a great film. And obviously I'm biased, but I think you should check it out. Tell me. What is the best documentary you've ever seen? What's it about? Why should people see it? 800-848-9222. Three open lines. George is in New Jersey. What do you got for us, George? Uh, Good morning. Uh, I um, like the – I love documentaries, and I like their story behind it. But I prefer one of our favorites, my wife and I, is Death Row Stories. I believe it's on Netflix with Lerna Herzog, who is the director, great director. Death and, uh, Row Stories? Yes. Uh, very interesting. It's about the inmates on death row, uh, the crimes they committed. It gives a little backstory into their lives and what led up to their crimes and, you know, what it's like to be on death row. Uh, and and is, it, is it one documentary or is it a series? It's a series. Series. But it is considered a documentary, and I, I love uh, Werner Herzog, uh, wonderful uh, director, storyteller, and uh, uh, highly recommend huh. it. And, and what platform is it on? Where can people see it? I believe it's Netflix. Netflix. Okay. Death Row Stories. All right. Okay. So I'll give one documentary for every one that a, a listener gives, okay? This is one that if you're into crime or the mafia you're really going to love. And they still show this on TV all the time. And I'm in this. And I, I guess I'm getting a theme here. One, I'm recommending two documentaries, one I produced and one I'm in. But trust me, this is very, very good. A lot of people ask me from time to time about the true story of John Gotti. 
junior or senior. If you really want to know the truth about John Gotti Jr. and John Gotti Sr., their relationship with one another, etc., you need to see the A&E documentary Gotti, Godfather and Son. That is the, of all the movies having to do with John Gotti that I've ever seen, some have been good, some have been not so good. That is, it's a documentary, it is by far, by far the most accurate. And I'm in in that as well. They interviewed me for it a couple of years ago. That's really well done. And look, it's not, a, again, I don't want to sound like I'm repeating everything I said about Roger Stone. It is not a love letter to John Gotti at all. Not a love letter to the mob at all. There's FBI agents in the film. There's judges in the film. Cops, uh, rats. You know, there's all sorts of, it's a very fair documentary. It's called Gotti, Godfather and Son. It was directed by my friend. Richard Stratton. All right. Um, your favorite documentary, Luis in New Jersey. Hello. Hey, good morning. Good morning. So uh, you ever heard of John of God? It's new to Netflix. No. Uh, tell me about it. Yeah. So he's, uh, I, I'm Brazilian. I was born in Brazil. So it's, it's, it's based in Brazil. And this guy's a natural healer. He cured people for cancer and a whole bunch of, uh, you know, made people walk and this and that but uh it's it's there's a dark side a twist to it at the end um it, you know it's about healing in the beginning and then the dark side comes out and it's it, it's pretty amazing what he did but at the same time you know you, you got to watch it it's, so it's, it's called it's john amazing. john from john of god and it's on netflix yes it's joan de Deus in portuguese but john of god and it pops even even if you don't speak Portuguese. It, it's still pretty relatable. Yes. Good. Yes. All right. I'll yes. check it out. Yes. I will check it out. Um, a lot of people weighing in on this. Pete is in Staten Island. Hello, Pete. What do you have for us? Hey, Frank. Uh, well, this is there's actually three of them, but the one I recommend is Social Dilemma. My uh, cousin is the producer and oh, director. Really? I, you know, I've uh, heard yeah, about yeah. this and I haven't seen it yet. I'm told it's great, actually. Right. He started off, his first one was Chasing Ice. And then after that, he did one Chasing Coral. He did all the, um, you know, uh, with the camera and everything. He did the deep sea and with the ice, the glaciers and the social media. All three of them are pretty good. He got Peabody Award. He got a Golden Globe for uh, all three of these that he started. Uh, his name is Jeffrey Olasky. So I would recommend those. Yeah, okay. Well, those are good ones. Thank you very much. You know, it's funny. Mike just emailed me one that I was going to mention. I've mentioned this on before. Um, it's called Free Solo. It's about somebody, a climber, Alex Honold, who free climbs El Capitan. It won Best Documentary a few years back, and it's really great. And even if I didn't think I was going to like it, but if you're even if you're not into mountain climbing, it's really well done. The one that everyone's talking about that I haven't seen yet uh, is my octopus teacher. I don't know if that's as good as everyone has said, but I'm told that's great. I haven't seen that one yet. Patrick is in Huntington. Hello, Patrick. Good morning, Frank. Uh, yeah, I got a documentary I liked up very much. It was called The Wrecking Crew, and it's it's about a, a group of studio music, musicians mm. and in the 60s and the 70s, and they played on just about every hit that you ever heard in your life, 
from the top 40 hits uh, uh, in the 60s and 70s. Very good. Yeah, I'm familiar with The Wrecking Crew, not the documentary. What platform is that documentary on? How can people see that? Oh, you know, I... uh, I'm just one of those surfers. I, it could be on Netflix. It could be on Amazon. Gotcha. You, know, you can do a search and find it. Okay. But and uh, how old is it about? 2015. Okay. So it's relatively recent. All right, Patrick, the wrecking yeah. crew. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. I'll tell you what was – this is a documentary that um, I think is terrific. And we were talking a lot about Ed Koch yesterday. Um, if you're interested in Ed Koch – there is a wonderful documentary. I believe it's on Netflix. It's simply called Koch. Koch. Really well done. Really well done. And again, not a love letter to Koch. Fair. I think it p- portrays him in a relatively favorable light. Uh, but it's really well done. Koch. That's uh, on Netflix. Um, Marie in Manhattan. What do you have for us, Marie? Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Okay. So, um. One of the scariest things I ever saw on MTV was the two-hour, I guess it was like an, um, a preview of uh, before the um, um, Blair Witch came out. By the time I saw Blair Witch after that, I go, well, this is nothing. That uh, documentary by MTV was the scariest thing I ever saw. But that was really good. What was the documentary about? The, the making of the Blair Witch Okay, Project. so it's a documentary about the making of the Blair Witch Project. Do you remember the name of the documentary? I think it was that. Something the making like of the that. Blair Witch Okay, all right. You know, I wasn't crazy about that film, but it sounds like based on Marie's description, maybe you didn't need to, to see it. I'll, I'll recommend one other political documentary, which if you're a fan of the show that Curtis does Saturday afternoons, you might want to see. It's called Wiener. And it's all about Anthony Wiener's run for mayor in... 2013 and uh that's really interesting and again whether you like wiener or not it's 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 interesting an interesting inside look at what goes on in a political campaign um i thought that was well done sean is in park ridge hello sean yeah i got a uh, running documentary it's, it's kind of interesting actually uh came out around 2010 it's called hood h-o-o-d to coast it's called that because there's a place called Mount Hood out on the West Coast, and then uh, it winds up go, uh, this race starts there, and then it ends on the California coast. But what happens is the race is about two fifty or three hundred miles. I mean, it's a really long race, and there's a team of five runners. And what happens is four runners are in a van, and the first runner goes and runs six miles, and then the van uh, catches up with them. And then the the runner pops in and the second runner goes out. And then they continue this for the entire, you know, uh, 300 miles or whatever it is. Exactly. I forget. But there's um, there's five different groups that they do special stories on regarding this race. And one of the groups, I have to tell you, is hysterically a group of runners. They never ran before in their life. And they just eat pizza and drink beer. And... uh, it's hysterical. It's absolutely so. It's, it's called such a great hood, hood to Coast. Hood to Coast. Um, if you're not a runner, it's still worth watching because it's just very interesting. There's a older lady on there that's been a lifelong runner, and she had a heart attack once, 
and she decided she wanted to go do it again. I mean, it's just really No, that sounds great. great. Um, and I'm going to recommend it to my siblings because they're all runners. What um, do you know if it's streaming anywhere? Is it on any, any platform that you're aware of? Um, you know, I'm sure you could probably, you know, I, I don't really know, but I'm sure you can get it on, you know, Amazon because uh, I'm kind of into running and I'm a little bit of a nerd with that. And when it came out, I actually saw it in the movie theater with a friend of mine, but we we're like the only ones in the theater. Um, but yeah, you would probably have to check Amazon or something like that. Okay. Oh, I will. Uh, I will definitely check that out. Thank you. Hood to coast. I'm, I am going to recommend that to my, uh, to my siblings. Hey, there's one that I want to mention. Um, it's really interesting. And at the time I saw this, it was one of the best documentaries that I've ever seen, I thought. It, it, this is about 10 years old. It's called Searching for Sugarman. Have you seen it? Have you heard of it? 10 years ago, it was all the rage. There was a um, musician, basically a rock star, named Rodriguez. And this guy became a South African cultural phenomenon in the, I guess it was the, again, it's been 10 years since I saw it, but I guess in the 70s. And then all of a sudden in late 70s, early 80s, he disappears, seemingly disappears. And no one knows what happened to him. And this documentary, Chase, uh, finds what happened to this rock star, Rodriguez. The, the documentary has been criticized. I don't care. I, I don't even want to tell you what these documentarians came up with in terms of their search for Rodriguez because it's such an important, dramatic part of the documentary that I don't want to take it away from you. But it, it's about 10 years old, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere, but I'm sure you can find it if you just search Searching for Sugarman. Really, really well done. Don on Staten Island, what do you have for us? Hey, Frank. Love the show. Uh, boy, Koch is an amazing one that you mentioned. And I'm you saw it. You in... saw it. Oh, gosh. He, he's an amazing mayor. We love him. Well, I know, but the did you, did you see the documentary, wire. though, as well? Yes, I did. But the New York aspect, Frank, I think people will love Man on Wire. That was what he was arrested for, but it, is, it documents the infiltration of the original World Trade Center site when it was being built in 1972 by the uh, trapeze artist, the tight wire specialist, Philip Petit. He was up for 72 straight hours. And he had done three of these stunts prior in the late 60s, but he said, those two towers are being built. I'm going to put a tightrope between the two. And he shot an arrow into the air from the North Tower to the South Tower with the wire on it, and he pulled it up. And it, it is a remarkable, remarkable documentary. He stayed out on that tight wire, walking back and forth between the North and South Tower for like an hour before he was arrested. 
Uh, it is a thrill. And it's one of the biggest stunt, well, I don't want to say stunt, but an athletic performance and, and one of the greatest sports moments in New York City history as well. Uh, he was penalized, uh, fined like $100 and was told to go to Central Park, you know, a month later in like June of 72 to perform for kids on the tightrope. So for the first 72 hours, this guy hides in a, a, uh, a laundry basket and he's wheeled with his wires into the bottom of World Trade Center and they get past security. This is 1972. And he goes up the elevators to the top tower and then he does his thing. It is remarkable. It's spine tingling and it's a great New York story. And I think your viewers will, your viewers, your listeners. Sure. No, man, man on wire. Yes, sir. Uh, we'll check yes. it out. Thank you. All right. I've dominated. I don't want to dominate this segment any further in terms of my recommendations. I'd rather hear from yours, but I'm just going to give you one last one. One last one. It's also a political documentary because I feel like a lot of the people that listen to this radio station might be inter- interested in politics and political characters. Last one I'm going to mention. It's all about Ralph Nader, an unreasonable man. Phenomenal documentary. Phenomenal documentary. And it just it doesn't just cover the 2000 presidential race or the 2004 presidential race. It goes back to Nader's beginnings. And it tells a wonderful story. And again, not a love letter to Ralph Nader, a balanced portrayal of Nader, as far as I'm concerned. 800-848-WABC. Keith is in Manhattan. Hello, Keith. Hey, Frank. Um, I, uh, I'm i 67, and I came uh, to New York to work in film in 76. And I was very fortunate the next year to get hired by the Maisel Brothers. Have you ever heard of them? I, I, you know, the name rings a bell, but I couldn't tell you. Um, I couldn't tell they're you best, what it was from. They're best known for "Gimme Shelter," which is a masterpiece. Oh, with sure, the okay, stone yeah. And the Altamont killing and Grey Gardens, some people may have heard of. But in 1964, on February 8th, uh, they de- they helped develop uh, Think documentary where the cameraman and the sound man could be separated but still in sync with the film and the audio. So they got a call on February 8th from Granada TV in England saying, can you meet the Beatles at JFK in three hours? They had made a last minute deal with Brian Epstein, their manager. So they ran out to JFK and they were carte blanche with the Beatles for the next five days, including the limousine ride in from the airport in the Plaza Hotel uh, for hours with Murray the K, the train trip to Washington. And it is now, in retrospect, it is the first. They never knew it was going to be a documentary. It wasn't. It was only shown once in in a regional part of England. And then it sat, the negative sat for decades. And I had to show the film to Paul Schaefer and all these people who loved the Beatles, but they, they could never, they couldn't see it unless they came to our studio to see it. And then finally, um, the Maisels made a deal with Neil Aspinall, the Beatles manager. And the documentary is called something like the Beatles first visit to America. It's about an hour long black and white. And it is unbelievable. You know, get back the new film that was released right. That's recently. what I was just going to ask you about. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's you know they knew they set it all up 
it was kind of contrived, you know, it was in the studio, you know, it was, but this, at the time, no one knew that, you know, how precious, you know, it was the first footage that the time that the Beatles had ever been followed around uh, by a documentary crew that was, was almost invisible the way, you know, the technology had been developed at that time in 1964 and the black and white footage and on the train to Washington, it's just unbelievable. Well, unbelievable. I, yeah, I the, think the Beatles, the Beatles first visit the USA. You can buy it on Amazon. I think a lot of Beatles fans in our audience will check that out. All right, why don't we do three more and then we will we'll move on here. Um, Jack is in Manhattan. Hello, Jack. How are you, Frank? I got two, actually a whole bunch of them. Any of the Ken Burns ones, but the Civil War. Mm series and baseball i mean uh, those are both great phenomenal those are both great and um the the ken burn i haven't seen the new ben franklin documentary yet that he's done have you seen it it's really a mini series no uh so he he is he's a very talented filmmaker and um the one the documentary series the mini series that he did that I really enjoyed was uh, uh, the Roosevelts. I loved the Roosevelts. Yes, that was fantastic too. Yeah. But the archival, the archival footage of the baseball and the Civil War that he compiled was yeah. amazing. You, you know, you're right, and they're both great. And and again, I would add the Roosevelts are too. But I think the difference between the Ken Burns documentaries. Versus the ones that I've mentioned, Koch, Wiener, An Unreasonable Man, um, Get Me Roger Stone, is that the documentaries that I mentioned are chronicling events as they're happening, whereas the Civil War and, for the most part, baseball and the Roosevelts, they're looking back at events that have already taken place. And I'm not saying it's better or worse. In some ways it's better because you get to – you have a broader historical context – for the, how those events played into future events, but it is different when you're watching an event unfold in real time. It's a different level of drama there. Like with the Civil War, I think what well, we may learn about it a great deal, we know that the North is going to win the Civil War. Right, but I mean, it was so much stuff that we were never taught that that was, you know, Revealed yeah. in these. Yep, you're right. Great point. Uh, great points all. A very talented documentarian. Absolutely. 800-848-9222. Marianne is in Indiana. Hello, Marianne. Hello, Frank. Um, my favorite documentary is uh, one with about uh, Twyla Tharp. She's a modern dance um, uh, queen, actually, uh, for modern dance, and uh, it's called Twyla Moves, and it talks about her career. Yeah, I've heard about that. That's on PBS, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was uh, American Masters PBS, and you, it talks about her then and now. Do you it's, think people like I, I'm not into modern dance uh, at all? Do you think people like me that may not be familiar with Twyla Tharp and may not be into learning about dance would we still enjoy the documentary? Yes. Really? See, that to me is the mark of a good documentary, that even if you're not necessarily interested in the subject matter, 
that you're going to find the the way it's made compelling. There you go. Twyla moves. That's the Marianne recommendation. All right. From Indiana, we go to Massachusetts. Roger in Massachusetts. Hello. Yeah, hi. Thanks. Um, this one was a mini-series. It was either five or six days long. Um, it was uh, 10 or 12 years ago, and I think about it regularly. It was an extremely good documentary. Each night was devoted to a different aspect of the natural sciences, whether it was uh, space or whether it was plant life or insects or undersea world or animals. Or Each night was something different, and Oprah Winfrey was the one who narrated it. It was, it was really, really well done, and it was so well done that the last night was all about the photography and the photographers themselves. And I don't know whatever became of it. I've often wondered. I don't even remember what the name of it is. But Well, that's what I was going to ask was, you. So, I mean, pardon? Roger, how are people going to find it if you don't know well, the name of it? I don't know. Maybe somebody else remembers it. And, uh, but I'll just leave it at that if you want to take another call. All right. Well, thank you, Roger. Yeah, I mean, again, the excerpt, the uh, my idea behind this anyway was – helping people compile a list of documentaries that they may want to see based on your description. And if you don't know the name of it, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, there's a lot of documentaries about science, but maybe somebody does know what Rogers, uh, Rogers talking about. Mike is in new Rochelle. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. I've got a great one that, you know, you can recommend to anybody. And I have, I've recommended it to hundreds of people it's called New York 77, The Coolest Year in Hell. Mm. It's got uh, Ed Koch, Jimmy Breslin. It's directed by Henry Cora. It was produced in 2007 and highly, highly recommend. It gives you the pulse on everything that was going on during New York in the midst of all that decay and crime, the blackout. You got the mad killer, uh, Son of Sam running loose. Wonderful documentary. Fast paced, a lot of music, some foul language, I got to warn you. But conveniently available on YouTube. So seek out the uh, the 122 minute version. And again, it's called New York 77. N Y 77, the coolest year in hell. All right. It's got a 7.8 IMDb rating. Wow. And I can't say enough of, uh, good things about it. It's really one of my favorite documentaries. Another one I, I, I like, I wanted to mention real quick, was The World at War by Laurence Olivier. Mm. Mm. If you ever get a chance, it's a, it's a docu-series, I think. I don't think it's just one. But if you ever wanted to get a perspective of the uh, World War One and Two and how they played out, that is highly, highly recommended. I've, I've watched that more than more than 10 times, I would say. It's very long, but it's outstanding. All right. Thank you, Mike. Let me end with Rosemary in Westchester. Hello, Rosemary. Thanks for getting to me. Um, okay, here's mine. Making the Misfits. Now, the Misfits was an early 60s movie. Okay, see so if you know any of these people in it. Marilyn Monroe, Montgomery Cliff, Eli Wallach. Oh, sure. I won't say what it's about. It's very strange. It takes place in Nevada. And it was written by her then-husband, Miller. Right, Arthur and Miller. what was his first name? Oh, thank you. Yeah. I had a brain freeze. And directed by John Huston. And it's all about the trauma of backstage with poor Marilyn Monroe and what was happening to her and how the film developed. 
and I just happened, and it was made by Channel 13, WNET. I just happened to find it at like a uh, Salvation Army, and it's real, real interesting. And when it was first out, the movie, I believed, I, I was too young then, um, it wasn't considered anything. It was kind of like thrown off. Now it's considered, considered like a minor uh, classic, a cult classic. And anybody who likes movies and real movie stars will love it. It is so interesting. It has a lot of stills from the movie, everything. It's beautiful. Yeah, you know, it sounds it sounds great. And I'm just looking this up now. It looks like it's exactly up my alley. It's called Making the Misfits. And they say this is one of the best documentaries about um, Hollywood and how films get made that are out there. So I'm going to definitely check this one out. I believe, uh, Frank, it was made, um, put out in 2001. And another thing, real fast, mm-hmm. on that Octopus movie, I'm dying to see it. I, I just read a piece in the paper, and it looks beautiful. I think it won the Oscar. Yes, you know? yes, it did. I'm looking forward to seeing it as well. Again, it's finding the time to see all these things that are – that can be somewhat challenging, but I'm looking forward to seeing that as well. All right. We're going to, those of you that are holding, Mark, Ronnie, Paul, if you want to keep holding, we'll get to you, but we're going to do the $1,000 minute next. So if you want an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, be the seventh caller now to 800-848-9222. Now, yesterday, I will tell you, Sid Rosenberg was mocking me off air. And he says, hey, who picks those questions for the $1,000 minute? And I said, uh, I do. So the, the questions are too easy. You, you're going to be a moron not to know all those questions. I said, Sid, well, you're invited to call in and participate in the contest tomorrow. If you want to participate, I'd love to have you. He said, well, you know, maybe I will. I listen on my way in. Maybe I will. And I said, all right, well, that's fine. Um, he said, well, you can't make them harder tomorrow because I'm going to do it. So we're going to do the seventh caller to call in or Sid Rosenberg. If Sid calls in, we'll take him. Otherwise, we'll take the seventh caller to 800-848-9222. If Sid's listening, he knows the number and he can get in touch with us. Otherwise, we'll give Sid another opportunity next week. All right. Um, the $1,000 minute, straight ahead. Well, what are you asking me for? Here comes the weekend. Uh, nobody I'd rather start my weekend beside than Sid Rosenberg. Uh, and, you know, I'm actually looking at these questions now. Now I'm starting to think Sid is right. I'm starting to think these are a little too easy. All right. Uh, we have gotten a hold of Sid Rosenberg, so he will be today's participant in... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Moreau. All right, well, this is exciting. Thank you, Chris Lipertini. A celebrity edition 
of uh, of the thousand dollar minute, and we have Sid Rosenberg uh, listening on his way in. Uh, Sid, how are you, my friend? I'm great. It's uh, payday Friday. I'm in the car with the great Fred Ricky Willis from uh, Rockapoco Car Service on the Gowanus right now, heading towards the studios. And you didn't get a hold of me, by the way. I got a hold of you. I called in unprovoked. I'm listening to your great radio show right now. And I'm going to play the game and uh, get all of them wrong. Every one of them. Yeah, now, uh, these are actually very easy questions. I'm starting to think you're right. Now, um, you get paid today because I got paid last Friday. I get paid every day. I'm a superstar. <laughs> <laughs> can you get Fred to turn your radio uh, radio off in that? Fred, uh, can you turn the radio lower because I guess uh, Frank can hear it back in the studio. He's such a pain in the ass. Yeah, I mean, it does sound good. 445 this morning and he's yelling at me. Yes, yeah, I'm sorry, Frank. All right, yeah. so, Sid, now the rules of this game yeah. are very simple. The timer is going to begin after I ask you the first question, and then right. um, if you get a question right, we're just going to move on to the next question so that you have, uh, you know, we can get through all of these. Okay, you ready to go? I'm very excited. All right, me too. All right, <laughs> name a creature that lays eggs. Sid? What? Name a creature that lays eggs. A creature that lays eggs? Yeah. Name something that lays eggs. I just said a bird. A I bird didn't hear lays you. Okay. What's the name of the current first lady? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> Does anybody know? Kamala Harris. No, Joe Biden, excuse me. Okay. What? Who did John F. Kennedy defeat in the election of 1960? Oh, my God. Here's where I'm going to lose. Who did? John F. Kennedy beat in 1960. I'm going to go with, uh, and I'm going to get this wrong. I know it. Um, Nixon. <laughs> what letter is the Roman numeral for five? Uh, that's going to be uh, V as in Victor. What country is directly to the south of the United States? What country is directly to the south of the United States? What? What the hell was that? Well, what, you're what, you're what out of time. You're out of time. You had a minute. Oh, that's not fair. I didn't realize that. I'm, I, I mean, did I get him wrong, though? Did I get all the questions no, right? No, no, that's right. Well, yeah, you did. But again, the challenge is getting them quickly so that we can get oh, 10 questions in a minute. I, the, the host read them too slow. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think you got tripped up a little bit on the first lady question and on the and on the Kennedy question. To be honest. Yeah, I got to tell you, it's funny. You know, when I sit in the car and drive in every morning with Freddie and listen to you, and, and again, I, I always heap praise on you because I really do think you're well, like, a like, radio host. Thank you. I agree. And, um, and I listen to the game. I'm like, how stupid are these people? And then when you play the game, there is no question. There is a completely different level of pressure. No question. No, no doubt. It happened with me uh, playing uh, Celebrity Beat Bernie. Believe me, I get it. Yeah, but didn't you get all five right? Um, well, yeah, on the second, you know, you know what it is? I botched the first one and then they, they had me back and I think Matt Meany took pity on me and he made it, the question so easy that, <laughs> that both Bernie and I were able to get it. All right. Well, so I'm looking forward to seeing you. You're going to be here soon, I guess then. Uh, uh, I'm actually still on the BQE. There's a lot of traffic for very early on a Friday morning, but. I enjoyed that immensely. I love you to pieces. You've got a great show. I'll see you soon. Thank you. That was Thank fun. you, my friend. Uh, and uh, by the way, right, I'll see you in a bit. You can listen to Bernie and Sid from 6 to 10. Their guests include <clears throat> Dick Girardi, Luke Pettigrew from the Giants, formerly. And um, I think that's it, right? Just the two of them uh, today. But uh, it's certainly going to be an interesting show. Now, 
Um, we had pizza. Today was pizza day, uh, even though yesterday was Cinco de Mayo. I was hoping there would be more leftover Mexican food, but I guess this Mexican food was pretty good because I didn't see any leftover Mexican food. Not a drop. I saw, I saw half a bag of chips. Let me tell you something. When I come in at 9 o'clock, and I was told, Rich told me that Rich went down there at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Rich and Mike DiDino. Rich Radabali. Rich Radabali and Mike DiDino went down there at 1 o'clock. Went down where? To the kitchen. To the kitchen yeah. when the feast was going on. He said by the time he got down there, all the meat was gone at 1.15. Oh, so it got it went quickly. He said the guacamole was there, the cheese was there, the chips were still there, all of the fixins were still there, but the meat was already gone. Well, first of all, we're lucky to work at a radio station where we get food even on a semi-regular basis. True. Second of all, I think that's a reflection of the savages and sales. <laughs> I was going to say how popular Mexican food is, um, but it heard of Cinco de Mayo. Did they have tequila? That I don't know. That, yeah, uh, but that is interesting. All right, but it was pizza day here. Uh, what was your review of the pizza? I'm sure you availed yourself of some of the pizza today. I did. I had the pesto white slice, which I loved, and I had a pepperoni slice. Yeah, I tried, actually, and I've been trying to stay away from carbs, and I know I'm going to regret this when I uh, weigh myself tomorrow. I had two slices of that pesto white slice, and uh, I thought it was outstanding. I thought it was stellar. You know, it was one of those things I, I just you, sometimes you need a little a slice of pizza for Pizza Friday to take the edge off. But you uh, always need. I mean, sometimes. Yeah, always. I know. But, uh, all right, so that's uh, that's where we are on that. Hey, um, a lot of people the last couple of days, including a caller that called me either a day or two ago, said they were hearing difficult. They were having difficulty hearing the signal over the air. As I understand it, that problem has now been solved. So a big thank you to Dan Herschel and our engineering team for doing whatever they did to fix that. If there's ever anybody that is experiencing problems listening to the station, I mean, I'm not when you when you know if they're unusual problems. I mean, if it's always fading at a certain point, that's not an unusual problem. But if you listen to the station every day in the same area, either on the live stream or on the actual radio, and you, normally you hear it clear and all of a sudden my voice comes in distorted all of a sudden, then please write to me right away so that I can forward that on to our engineering team. Because I stay on top of the engineering folks until there's some resolution. Because if only one person writes to me and I forward it, then it becomes, oh, no, that was probably just that one person. But if 11 people write to me and say, oh, you know, you sound like you're underwater all of a sudden, then um, you can fix it. So thank you to Dan and Rachel and who in the engineering team for, uh, you know, for getting that fixed. So I'm glad that's working. Hey, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame next. That's where you get to be heard on any subject for 15 seconds. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Whatever's on your mind. Now's the time to get it off your chest. 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. 15 seconds of fame. Straight ahead.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Hopefully you're doing something fun this weekend. and um, Or, you know, if you're not doing something fun, maybe you got a chance to relax a little bit and uh, catch up on some of these documentaries, whatever the case may be. Uh, it is interesting. My, um, my wife became frustrated long ago with washing wine glasses, you know, big old wine glasses, these Bordeaux glasses, because apparently you can't put them in the dishwasher because they, you know, the stem gets broken. So she asked me a while ago, maybe two or three months ago, that from now on, whenever you pour wine for people, give them the stemless wine glasses first, which I don't like to do. I much prefer the stemmed wine glasses to the stemless wine glasses. But my wife is the one washing all these dishes. So, you know, I've got to kind of adhere to her wishes. But yesterday, she broke one of our stemless wine glasses while she was transferring them to the dishwasher. So I very rarely get to do this in our house because we have a surplus of glasses of all types, glasses, mugs, cups, you name it. But I think I get to purchase a couple of new stemless wine glasses now. So I'm excited about that. I may do that today while she's working. Um, maybe I'll take Carmine on a field trip, purchase some stemless wine glasses, tell, teach him a thing or two about the craft of purchasing stemless wine glasses. All right, without further ado, it is time for you to start your weekend uh, by sounding off on any subject for 15 seconds. It is indeed time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Faith. Let me begin with Larry. Larry, I heard you call into another show to talk to Alan Dershowitz the other day. I thought you did a great job. Thank you, but it wasn't me. Uh. Uh, Okay, Uh, I should be uh, Alan Dershowitz. Anyway, um, if if anybody who cares about this city thinks that this city is going to survive if we let the name of Ed Koch go off the 59th Street Bridge because of a few perverts, then they're mistaken, okay? We should. Who cares about Alan Roscoff and his dead lovers, okay? They Thank- surely got AIDS to begin with. Thank you, Larry. All right. Roger in Massachusetts. Yes, uh, Netflix, a brand-new documentary called 2,000 Mules. Forensically tracks and traces people who made more than 10 visits to ballot drop boxes during the 2020 election. Thank you. John in Forest Hills. Sid, I want to punch you in the face for being so stupid. And could it? I see tonight. Wow. Stacy in Forest Hills. Hey there, Frank. I think you're the greatest. I went into the city Tuesday. With my boyfriend, first time in four months, I felt like I was a tourist in my own city. It was horrible. Mm. I mean, just walking around just a little bit. We went to this Irish pub with some Irish friends near me. But it's so scary just walking around the city. Thank you, Stacy. Mark in Rochelle Park. There's a reason why they call it Beat Bernie in the morning and not Beat Sid. You almost stumped them on a creature that lays eggs. You gotta be kidding me, Sid. JoJo in Rhode Island. Yes, this is JoJo. I would just like to say, Frank, that uh, Eric Adams is a Christian Baptist is working real hard. But why is the crime going up and up and up? Don't they respect his independent philosophy on how to govern? Frankie in Glendale. This one goes out to the guy making those comments about the Russians yesterday. Hey, dude, get the hatred out of your heart. 
get the hatred out of your heart, man. Mike in Montclair. Good morning, Frank. Frank, after that last segment of $1,000 Minute, Sid asked more questions than you did. Perhaps Sid is, you finished the sentence. Chris in the Catskills. The executives of gas companies made phone calls to their chain outlets around the country yesterday to raise prices during the middle of the day, 25 to 30 cents. Uh, The politicians who are bought and paid for by these companies need to stand up. Steve on Coney Island. Uh, Tony in Stanford. It is a moron. And finally, uh, you know, this was who I heard call Alan Dershowitz the other day. The guy I always confuse with Larry in Brooklyn, Charles in Queens. Hello. That's what I called to tell you. It was it was me, Charles, on the Idala show that I had a long conversation with Professor Dershowitz. Yeah, that was a good call. Thank you, Charles. Uh, and it was not your alter ego, um, Larry in Brooklyn. Although the two are frequently seen. Uh, you know, the the two are frequently mistaken for one another. And uh, to the best of knowledge, my knowledge, they've never been in the same place at the same time. So you draw your own conclusions. I'm not trying to create any conspiracy theories here, but there are those who believe that Charles and Queens and Larry and Brooklyn are the same person. I'm just putting that out there now. Um You'd stay in touch with me over the weekend. I'll be back on Monday. I've got some fun stuff planned for Monday uh, that I hope you're going to enjoy. And uh, I'll tell you about it over the weekend. You stay in touch with me via email, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Also encourage you to join our Facebook group. Uh, not only will you learn of the music that we're playing on this show, but you'll uh, it's a great place for you to sound off on any of the subjects that we're talking about. Uh, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. And, of course, we're on Twitter as well. At Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-L. Until Monday. Frank Morano. Good day. Ohio. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.